Merry Christmas, everybody! It is Saturday night, July the 9th, year 2016. And Patricia's gonna join us in a half hour. She's gotta get stuff together. You know, she's gotta get the tree up. Look for snow in Florida, or stuff like that. And so she and I talk. She's doing good. And so we're gonna celebrate Christmas with the family and Patricia. We're going to open up with a Fibber McGee and Molly show first, Christmas style, from December 6, 1949. I know Patricia always loves this one. Patricia will be on with it for a while, and then uh, we're going to play the interview that Patricia did with the mayor of the North Pole in a little while. Uh, after Patricia says, all right, it's time to play the interview, we'll do that. And yes, I will play Patricia's song. Once we bring Patricia in, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be a Saturday night without Patricia's song. And I figure if Patricia needs to hear her song, etc. Anyway, I am so grateful that we're here as a family. And let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the blessings we have to live in a wonderful country. Help all the guys who gave up their lives throughout the country this week, especially down in Dallas, helped the families as they struggle through all the pain, Lord. Look after the needy, the poor, and the homeless. Bless each one of them out there. Look after all our friends who are going to be going to doctor appointments this week or any medical procedures. Let them know that we love them and put your guiding arm around each one of them, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity of letting us have this radio station. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright. We'll play the Firm Game Molly show. That way you get Patricia a half hour to get ready for us. And then we'll bring Patricia in. And we'll celebrate. So stand by everybody. Give me a second. Jaws Professional 1 Saturday Martin Grant Friday morning Fibber McGee and Molly 1 2 6 Unloading Jump Cans Oak Enter 1 Saturday 7 Now Fibber McGee and Molly and at 9 here Big Town Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat present Silver McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Tonight, I'd like to make one thing clear to everybody. There is only one glow coat. It's the water-repellent new glow coat that's on your dealer's shelves right now. There's been no change in the familiar glow coat container, but wait till you find out about the wonderful change inside. For it is a wonderful thing to be able to cover your floors with a self-polishing floor wax that is positively water-repellent. Now, the big thing from your standpoint is that it'll last so much longer without losing its smooth, lustrous shine. Water that's dripped or spilled on it can be wiped right off without leaving an ugly streak or spot. 
You can damp mop low-coat protected floors over and over without killing the protection or the shine. You get more for your money now in Johnson's Glow Coat than ever before. More beauty, more protection, more freedom from floor care drudgery. Guaranteed the most economical self-polishing wax you can buy. Its protective shine lasts up to four times longer. Get water repellent, new glow coat tomorrow. In 1649, a Dutchman named Rembrandt took some oil, some brushes, some canvas, and some talent and turned out a lot of masterpieces. In 1949, a fellow in Wistful Vista got out the card table, loaded it down with art materials, and started to make his own Christmas cards. (laughs) The sound of the gong was so we could avoid mentioning the two artists in the same breath. Because one of them is Mr. McGee, of Fibber McGee and Molly. I sure wish I'd have thought of this before, Molly. Look at the money I'd have saved if I'd have made my own Christmas cards every year. How's this look, kiddo? My first one. Let me see. Hmm. Very interesting. Isn't it, though? Too bad you had to spill that big blob of red paint all over it. What do you mean, big blob of red paint? That's Sandy Claus. It is? Where's his beard? That's the whole idea of the card. He ain't got any beard. Sandy Claus with no beard? Why, certainly. He's just coming out of the barbershop. The verse is going to say St. Nicholas had his beard cut off as up on the roof his reindeers trample. Because how can a guy with whiskers on show little shavers a good example? Oh, McGee, that's cute. Oh, shucks. I got a million ideas as good as that. Or better. Well, I should hope so. Huh? Among your many good ideas, have you got one about how to get that India ink out of the rug? Oh, I'll clean up here when I get through. I ain't quite used to handling all this stuff, but I'll learn, Tootsie. I'll learn. My gosh, I'll bet Somerset Maugham didn't learn to paint overnight either. Somerset Maugham is a, is a novelist, dearie, not a painter. Oh, he gave it up, huh? Couldn't stand the gaff, eh? Well, believe me, I'm staying right with it. I got tenacity. I got grit. I got perseverance. You have something else, too. I have? Yes, you have a jar of blue paint dripping into your lap. Huh? Oh, oh, my gosh. I must have tripped it over with my elbow. Yeah. Uh, there. Shucks. That was my only jar of blue paint. (laughs) I'll have to paint the rest of the reindeer with brown eyes. You've been painting reindeer with blue eyes? Why not? A good question. (laughs) For all I know, reindeer might... Come in. Oh, it is out on the mayor, McGee. Come in, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Molly. Hello, McGee. Hi, Latrev. Well, you must be having a circus with those watercolors. You certainly look like a clown. If you're referring to the pigment so plentifully permeating my pretty puss, Politico, it is purely a product of my poster paints and my peculiar pictorial proclivities. Are you through, dear, or shall I open up another can of peas? I'm through. No kidding, Latrice. This artwork is a great little hobby. It gets your mind off of things. Oh, I didn't know you ever had yours on anything. But I agree that a hobby is a fine thing. My secretary collects stamps. Has she a valuable collection, Mr. Mayor? She must have. I buy about $50 worth a week, and I can never find one around the office. I think she must be papering a bedroom with them. If she doesn't like the results, she can always mail the house to some relative. 
I come by my artistic talent kind of natural, Latrive. It's hereditary. <laughs> my Uncle Sycamore was an artist. Uncle Sycamore. Oh, yeah. You had an interesting family tree. Oh, yes. A squirrel's idea of heaven, I imagine. <laughs> I didn't know your Uncle Sycamore was an artist, McGee. Portrait or landscape? Mail pouch tobacco. <laughs> Painted it on barns, fences, and silos. You got any hobbies, Latrip? Yes. She sells. Oh, uh, you mean seashells, don't you, uh, Your Honor? No. No. My housekeeper is always selling raffle tickets for something, and I have to buy whatever she sells. <laughs> Be kind of interesting sometime if she sells tickets on some seashells. Well, anytime she sells seashells, she'll sell the seashells to somebody else. Because if she sees that she can sell me seashells, <laughs> she'll sell the... Hmm. What's the matter, Your Honor? I'll have to change the subject. My bridge work is coming loose. <laughs> Anyway, I have to be going. I can find my way out, Molly. Don't trouble to... No, no, Mr. Mayor, not that. No, 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 please. Billy Mills in the orchestra, and she wore a yellow ribbon. Christmas card's gonna take, McGee. Mm -hmm. The way the page is thrown around in here, it looks like Sherwin had a fight with Williams. <laughs> My dear girl, a true artist is not concerned with such trivial things. When one is creating, one thinks only of putting one's best work into one's work. You seen the pot of glue? 
Yes, you're putting your best elbow in it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I felt that a while ago, but I thought it was just the red paint. Hey, look at this card I just designed for Mort Toops. Not only wishes him a Merry Christmas, but carries a thoughtful little message, too. Something sentimental, I suppose, like go boil your head. <laughs> Here it is, picture of a fish. You see, fish is swimming through a sprig of mistletoe. A fish and mistletoe? Yeah. The verse says, I hope the fish I hereby show recalls the fin I loaned you last July. And though he swims through mistletoe, I ain't gonna kiss that fin goodbye. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> you like it? Well, five dollars is always a nice touch if you can't get ten. <laughs> but that's what I say. Come in. Oh, it's only from the Elks Club. Come in, boy. Well, hello, missus. Hello, McGee. What's the mess, missus? Well, himself here is making his own Christmas cards, heaven help me. Yep, personalized handmade Christmas cards, Ole. None of that run-of-the-mill stuff for me this year. I painted every one of these babies with my own hands. Well, maybe they wouldn't look so messy if you painted them with a brush, McGee. <laughs> well, he did use a brush, Ole. He means that... Hey, he... I might not do so bad with just my bare hands at that, Ole. You've heard of finger painting, haven't you? Oh, sure. My daughter, Christina, she makes good money with finger painting. Yeah, what does she paint? Well, what would a finger painter paint, McGee? She, she paints fingers, of course. She's <laughs> she's a lady curist. You mean a manicurist, Ollie? Me and the missus, we don't like Christina holding hands with the men. She used paints fingers on ladies. Have you done any of your Christmas shopping yet, Ollie? Uh, say, what are you going to give your wife this year? Then my missus is always a problem. Every year for Christmas, she wants something sensible. But I want to give her foolishness. And you're right, boy, you're right. That's what Christmas is for. Sure. But this year, though, she changes. Yeah? This time, she wants foolishness, too. Oh. And such foolishness. Oh. <laughs> what does she want, Ollie? A diamond necklace or a mink? No, she drops hints by the kids so that they say, this year, Mama wants for Christmas a dyed rabbit. Well, now a dyed rabbit is very nice, I think. Yeah. So I make a deal with the pet shop. The first rabbit that dies, I give it to my mother. <laughs> I do stop in to say hello, McGee, so goodbye, Miss. Goodbye, Ollie. It's a good thing I keep on talking while I'm working, or working while I'm talking, or I never get finished. I got some beautiful cards here, Molly. They weren't so messy. Mm-hmm. Now, you take this one for the mayor, for instance. Kind of a symbolic card, see? You get it? The picture of the pork barrel with a hand in it? That's lovely. That's about as subtle as a blackjack. <laughs> I didn't realize I was so loaded with ideas. So productive. So specific. Not specific, dearie. You mean prolific. Oh, I do. <laughs> I'm afraid you're thinking of that stale movie at the Bijou, my dear. The one that the ad claims it's colossal, it's stupendous, it's pro prolific. That's terrific, McGee. Thanks. I think it's a nice card myself. <laughs> it's got that certain something that you can't... Hello, Molly. May I come in? Hi, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Welcome to the McGee Greeting Card in House Wrecking Company. Pull up a chair, Junior, if you can find one without any paint on it, and watch a Julius at work. Thank you, pal. I'll stand. 
Hey, uh, this is very interesting stuff to me, kids. I used to work in a greeting card place, you know. I didn't know that, Mr. Wilcox. Sure, I designed Christmas cards. Modernistic stuff. You mean modernistic stuff like a picture of a fried egg draped over a half moon under a watch with a woman's face with roller skates for ears? And it says, onions are for love? You mean that stuff? Yes, yes. I was kind of a dilly-dally. Oh. Matter of fact, I designed a beautiful card for myself this morning, kids. Really, Mr. Wilcox? Sure, I just flashed a card with a lot of colors, you see. Then I drew a picture of Santa Claus carrying an umbrella and a rubber band. Looks terrific. That's supposed to mean something? Why, certainly, pal. Look, take the colors on the card, you see. They simply stand for the colors the Johnson self-polishing glow coat restores to your worn and faded linoleum. Oh, all oh, oh, that dirty waste of stick. Then the umbrella. The umbrella. That means the new glow coat is water-repellent. Yes, sir. This great new discovery, Johnson's new self-polishing water-repellent glow coat, is the one floor wipes at last that does not smear and show drab dull spots when you wipe up spill things with a damp cloth or mop it with a damp mop. Yes, and you have no idea what that means to a housewife like myself, Mr. Wilcox. The heck he don't. He's... Now, you hush, McGee. You know, I don't have to wax my floors nearly as often with the new glow coat since it's water repellent. That's right, Molly, because when you mop up dirt and spill things, you don't mop up the wax. It stays on and it stays bright even after repeated moppings. That's why I drew the rubber band on my card, because your work is a snap when you use the new water repellent glow coat. <laughs> and hey, pal, pal, the Santa Claus is me, the way I look to a housewife when she learns how much work she saves with Johnson's new water repellent glow coat because it lasts so much longer. Hey, hey, look, Cause... hey, 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 look, Waxy. Yes, pal. How long did you work in that Christmas card place? About an hour and a half, pal. Huh? The fellow who owned the place made a crack about my drawings that I didn't like, so I left. Oh, independent, eh? What'd he say to you? Wilcox, he said, you're fired. <laughs> So I left. Like this, kid. Sensitive kid. Look, sweetheart, uh, why don't you give up designing Christmas cards, too? If Mr. Wilcox could do it, you can do it. Just say to yourself, I can give it up. I will give it up. I... What are you doing with the yardstick? Trying to draw a picture of the Shah of Persia. With no curves, just angles, you know. It's just an experiment. But why no curves? Well, I know I can't draw a straight line with a ruler, so I wanted to see if I could draw a ruler with a straight line. <laughs> you see, my dear, when an artist... Hold it, kiddo, hold it. Come in. Oh, McGee, it's Dr. Gamble. Hello, doctor. Hi, tonsil burglar. Hello, Molly. Good day to you, smear face. What are you doing, dying Easter eggs? He's painting his own Christmas cards this year, doctor. This year? Seems like this has been going on for 300 years. <laughs> Pull up your stomach and sit down, microbe merchant. <laughs> You're looking at Wistful Vista's answer to Courier and Hives. <laughs> well, I couldn't think of a nastier answer. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. All praise right. from you is praise indeed. <laughs> well, I must have missed a line someplace. <laughs> But give the boy credit for effort, Doctor. You'll have to admit he's trying. Admit it. I accuse him of it. He's very trying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys got to have a hobby, hasn't he? What's your hobby? Needlework. Roll up your sleeve and I'll show you. Oh. <laughs> Nothing doing. You get under my skin without any extra equipment. <laughs> what are you staring at my vest for? Just noticing how full it is, stuffy. Can't button the bottom button anymore, can you? Well, gee whiz, I get hungry. I exercise a lot, Doc. A guy that exercises... Yes, yes, he does, Doctor. He exercises harder with a knife and fork than anybody I know. Well, looking at you, Goonsboro, 
And your little round, hand-painted tummy has inspired me to a little Christmas poem myself. Yeah? Maybe you can use it on one of your cards. Gee, you made one up just sitting here? Uh Let's hear it, Doctor. Oh, yes, let's. All right. Christmas is a time of cheer to think of the colorful friends we've got. Like little Buckle Buster here. He is the rainbow at the end of the pot. So long, Doctor. Tell the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This is the story of a reindeer, a super extraordinary reindeer. He wasn't what a reindeer ought to be, for he had one peculiarity. Go on, Teeny, you tell him. Okay, fella, I'll tell him. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. On one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa Claus lost his way. Then he cried, Without a light, old Saint Nick can't ride tonight. Just then along came Rudolph, galloping, 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 galloping through the stormy night. you give it up? My dear, did Da Vinci give up? Did Piscatio give up? <laughs> did Somerset Maugham give up? I told you before, Somerset Maugham is not an artist. He's an author. He's an author. I'm an author and an artist. Who wrote that wonderful little Christmas verse? Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, we could smell Uncle Dennis. He was such an old souse. <laughs> now, McGee. Who wrote that? I did, five years ago. That was the night Uncle Dennis came home. Now, now, now. Look at this card I designed. Mm Mm-hmm. See it? But you drew the figure too large. The hands and the feet are clear off the page. I know it. I done that on purpose. This one is for old McDonald at the Third National Bank. But why did you make the picture so out of proportion? I wanted him to see how it feels to be overdrawn. (laughs) But now, dearie, look. 
How many cards have you finished? Well, as soon as I finish this one and two more, I'll have three. <laughs> kind of discouraging at that, but it's going smoother now. I'm getting the knack. Oh, McGee, watch it. There goes the ink. Oh, do something, sweetheart. Don't just sit there and watch it pour out onto the floor. It ain't going onto the floor. It's running down my pants into my shoe. <laughs> All I got to do is sit here till it dries, and then I can get up and walk. Oh, dear. Come in. Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Oh, hi, old-timer. What are you making the Christmas cards for? Christmas? <laughs> well, the way I'm laying eggs with them, I think I'll use them for Easter. <laughs> Where's your girlfriend, Bessie, Mr. Oldtimer? Isn't she with yeah. you? Yeah. No, daughter. Bessie's working down at the carnival. Me and her had a little falling out. Had a fight, eh? Nope. Falling out. Oh. Out of the top seat of the Ferris wheel. <laughs> Heavenly days. Was Bessie badly hurt? No, she was delighted, daughter. <laughs> she fell with her face in the cotton candy and they gave her a job as a bearded lady. <laughs> hey, Bessie's a sweet kid. <laughs> Now, anyway. <laughs> I can have a lot of fun in the carnival. I mind one time I was throwing darts at some balloons and a fat lady walked past. Yes, it sure are fun. <laughs> Bessie and me went to the Hall of Mirrors. Oh, that Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> what those things can do to your shape. You said it, daughter. Bessie never looked better. <laughs> I never quite understood, old-timer. Is, uh, is Bessie a daughter of the old South or just an old daughter of the South? Now, McGee. <laughs> the, uh, where did you ever meet her anyway, Mr. Oldtimer? Well, daughter, I was judging a beauty contest down in Possum Chokey, Alabama, and Bessie won it hands down. Hands down, eh? She was scared to raise them. The elastic in her bathing suit bloomers was busted. <laughs> well, what was the contest? Oh, a bunch of platters was voting on the sugar they'd most like to raise cane with. <laughs> They named her Miss Blackstrap of 1914. <laughs> Incidentally, Johnny, that there painting of yours reminds me. Bessie's papa was a painter. He was? Good one, too. I remember one painting he'd done of the whole family standing around a vat full of moonshine. Sounds very effective. Uh, what did he call it? Still life. <laughs> well, we're going to get down to the carnival to see Bessie, kids. So long. So long. Look, dearie, huh? let's call this whole Christmas card thing off, shall we? You're ruining your clothes and the living room is a sight. Yeah, I know, kiddo, I know. I, I've been kind of clumsy at it, but I'm getting the knack of it now. What's that noise? Sounds like something. Heavenly days, grab the glue, McGee. It's running off the table. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got it. Oh, what a mess. And look, it went all over all the cards I had yes. done. Dad rat, the dad rat. They're all ruined. Oh, it's too bad. Dear, oh, dear. Come in. Hi, mister. <laughs> Hi, Miss McGee. Hello, sis. Run along with you. I'm in enough trouble. Well, I now, ain't... don't take it out on Teeny, McGee. I ain't taking it out on Teeny just because I make an unholy mess out of trying to make my own Christmas okay. cards. I guess if you make your own Christmas cards, you don't want to see these then, mister. So I'll just... Hey, 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 wait a minute. What was that you said? Who? You. When? Just now. About what? About I don't want to see those. That's what I thought. <laughs> these are just some ten-cent cards that I was trying to sell so I could make some money for Christmas, but... Well, you 
If you make your own, I guess I... You got Christmas cards for sale? Come here, kid. I want to kiss you. Oh. <laughs> How many cards you want to buy, mister? How many? Hmm. How many you got, sis? About 30, I betcha. About 30, huh? I'll buy all of them. Oh, I'll kiss you. All right, sis. <laughs> there. Now give me the cards and I'll give you the dough. Boy, are these beautiful. Look at them, Molly. Lovely. So colorful. Mm -hmm. Such clever verses. Mm. How can them commercial companies turn out such beautiful stuff so cheap? Here, sis, here's three bucks. And thank you ever so much. What's the matter? Well, nothing, mister, only... I guess I better tell you, huh? the reason they're so cheap is they've been used. <laughs> and, and the ones that have got writing on them, you'll have to erase. Mm. If you need any more, let me know. Our attic is just full of them. So long, mister. Uh, hey. Hey, Molly, hand me what's left of the glue. What are you going to do with it? Drink it. I've been stuck every other way. I might as well go the whole hog. Bitter and Molly return in a moment. Let me remind you again, there is now a self-polishing floor wax that is positively water-repellent. It's Johnson's new glow coat. That means long-wearing protection for your floors, freedom from ugly spots or drab streaks caused by water. Spill things, muddy footprints, melted snow, whisk right off that hard glow coat surface. Glow coat stays on, stays bright, even after repeated damp moppings. And this wonderful new water-repellent quality means that glow coat's protective shine lasts up to four times longer. That's why glow coat is guaranteed to be the most economical self-polishing wax you can buy. So tomorrow, get the smooth-spreading, self-shining floor wax that's positively water-repellent. No change in the glow coat package, remember? But what a wonderful difference inside. Ask for the new water-repellent glow coat tomorrow. Well, uh, McGee, what are you going to do for Christmas cards next year? Make your own again? Well, I ain't the type of guy that gives up easy, Tootsie. I'm strictly the type of guy that he makes up his mind to do something, and I do it. So? So about December 1st next year... I'm going to the art store, buy a lot of paint and cardboard and brushes. Oh, no, not that. And paint a big sign for the front door. Welcome, Christmas card salesman. Oh. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's New Water Repellent Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? Here's a time-saving way to keep your furniture sparkling clean and shining bright with almost no effort. Tomorrow, start using Johnson's Cream Wax, the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. Johnson's Cream Wax cleans so quickly, dries so quickly, polishes so quickly, that using it is almost as easy as dusting. A few strokes of a cloth do the cleaning, a few more polish your furniture to a satiny smoothness. And this wax contains no sticky oils to catch dust. Tomorrow, start using the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. Get Johnson's Cream Wax at your dealers. Stay tuned for Big Town, coming to you next on NBC. December 6th, night. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago.
There we go. December 6th, 1949. Okay, we're going to go get Patricia. So give me a second here, everybody. Jaws Profet Items View, Items View Track Underline Martin Grant Friday Morning Fibber McGeehan Friday Morning 1 2 Dash Unloading Jump Can't Oak Enter 1 Saturday 7. Jaws Professional Skype Trademark Left Bracket 34 Favorites. Dave K. Martin, Ed Clue, Patricia from FL Home, phone number, application, send us, invite a group call, enter, leaving menus, unloading jock hands, oh, enter, Patricia from FL Home. Ah, did we lose her? I think we did. Okay, I'm going to have to try again, everybody. I heard her pick up and I heard Skype stuff. Alright. We'll try again. Jaws Professional Patricia from FL Home. Bill Br Alt tab. Skype trademark left tab. Online tab. Walden tab. Search edit. Act favorite. Dave Martin, Ed Clue, Patricia from FL Applications, Con send us, invite a group, enter, leaving menus, Patricia unloading, jump cans, okay, enter, Patricia from FL Home. Are we going to stay connected? Oh, miracle can do happen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Damn by, because we won't do a show without this. Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin'. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, 
Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love with you. Merry Christmas, Patricia. Merry Christmas, Walden. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm here. We're here. It's a family together. Yeah, I'm visiting. (laughs) (laughs) And I even had some Christmas stuff. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Good. Thank you for letting me crash the party last night. Well, you know, I mean, it's... Females do. <laughs> females do have. Females. Start over again. Females do have special privileges. You know that. Do they really? Oh, they always do. I mean, I'm. I'm from the old school. Yeah, you are. I really am. I am a sentimentalist, a mm-hmm. romantic, and I always think ladies need to be treated with tender, loving care. They need to be, you know, my my uncle Walter, who I was named for. Didn't matter. He always opened the door for the lady and closed them mm-hmm. after them. You know, I, I'm from that school. Mm-hmm. So if, if if Patricia wanted to crash any old party, look out, world! Here she comes. <laughs> what we are talking about is the show last night with Larry and John Gassman and Walden and um, Dave. Yeah. Rhode Island. And Tommy Cook. And, and Bob Colonna. Abner show. And what else? I missed one. And Bob Colonna. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I missed one. No, you got it all figured out. Okay, my brain is working. At least for now. <laughs> <laughs> you never can tell with women. <laughs> they might have privileges, but they also play tricks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But this is fun. We've got Tonight. Uh, it's a great and way I, to celebrate. Yes. I didn't do a lot of homework, but I do have some questions for you. Well, what, whatever you want to bring to the table, you know, your your favorite meal, turkey is ready for you, whatever you want to sample it. Potato salad, please. Oh, uh, wait a minute. I thought, you were, I thought you were a mashed potato kid. Well, I am when you have turkey and gravy, but I'm going to ask for... Turkey as a side, you know, just okay, okay, spices. okay, and that means it has to have olives and cranberry sauce and stuff like that. There. Oh, okay. So potato salad will work. Potato salad will work. Now, what's in the Patricia potato salad? Stop. Julie, <laughs> I grew up with German influence in food and cooking. Mm-hmm. Except for my Irish grandmother, who taught my mother how to make German pot roast. <laughs> my <laughs> Irish grandmother, bless her heart, she was so wonderful. Anyhow, in my potato salad. Yes. Are we still here? Okay, I hear we're, we're still here, yeah. Okay, um, somebody's listening in, I hope. My gosh. So, in German potato salad, which I'm... <laughs> we'll start with potatoes. Okay. 
and and then we put some diced onions in there. Okay. And then we put some vinegar in there. Okay. And then we put a little tweak of sweet and low or equal, whatever you want. So okay. Sour. Okay. And then you pile on the mayonnaise. And okay. Maybe even some parsley, and then you mix it up and eat it, which is a very critical part of the. <laughs> it's not much fun if you don't eat it, right? No. Oh, no, okay. I mean, you can't look at these. It's like looking at a chocolate rabbit, you know? <laughs> you, just, you just cannot walk by this stuff. So, anyhow, do we get to say hi to our, our family? Uh, our family is listening to us. So uh, whenever you want to open the phone line, we can do that. It, yes. Oh, by all, yeah, by all means. All right. We can only stay an hour. Yep. So, Patricia got. I, I want to say hi to my family. She, she, she got places to go, things to do next week. So we gotta, we gotta put her to bed early because you know she got early wake up morning call to get stuff done. Boy, oh boy, you know? have stuff coming up next week. <laughs> Wowzers! I, I am the poster girl for. For your blind community and also the medical community here. <laughs> oh, we got, I've got a one-stop shop for interns. They'll never have to go to another room. They can just stay with me and learn everything they need to know. <laughs> that was pretty good. Hello, Carl. You are with Patricia. Melakalihimaha. <laughs> well, I never remembered that, and I even have it written in a half a dozen places. Thank you, and same to you. I have a, uh, my tutor is here. Oh. Our daughter is visiting us from Hawaii. That's a great oh, way. Oh, oh, did she say that? And, and you wrote it down, and then you wished us... I, I didn't write it down. I yeah. remembered all by myself. <laughs> wow. wow. I'm impressed. I am impressed. This is Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. And I, I was supposed to have learned it because Ron in Hawaii tells us Merry Christmas in Hawaiian every year, and every year I say, Ron, would you do it again, please? <laughs> and, and you got it. I'm impressed. How, how is Ron doing? I haven't heard from him lately. We, we have not heard from him either. Or maybe Walden did. No, you? no, it's been a couple of weeks. Patricia got an email about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he was just working for, he was, we were hoping to catch up, but he had um, graduation. Some of the grandkids were getting graduated a weekend. Right. We were h- hoping to hear from him. So, you know, some t- can you believe it, Ralph? Grandkids take priority over us sometimes. It's just, it's just disgraceful, but I can completely understand. <laughs> I can understand, yeah. Uh, our grandson was here for a few days also. Oh. My, do- my daughter's uh, son. He just, he just left this afternoon. Yeah. You sound very perky. Are you feeling better? I, I'm feeling pretty good, really. I uh, had a couple, about three or four real good days. And uh, we, we took the boat out of the storage shed today, and oh. uh, everybody got down there together and washed it out and cleaned it up, and I got it started. And we're going to put it in the lake tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Has the lake recovered anything at all? No, the the big lake is 87, is it 87 feet down? Yeah. 87 feet down from the crest. Wow. But we have a smaller lake that feeds off the bottom of the big lake, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's where we're going to go with the boat. Good deal, good deal. You know, 87 feet, that's an eight-story building. Yeah, it's pretty significant, but it was down 140-odd feet. Well, you got quite a bit of rain, then, if you think about it, over the last year or so. 
On the rocks, or is it on the skimming the well, top of the water? The river, when when the river gets almost to the gulf, it begins to get saline, and so you got a bre- what they call brackish water, where you've got uh, salt water and fresh water coming together. Okay, yeah, uh huh. And with the fresh water streaming down the river, all of the fresh water is dumping into the gulf, but on the way because the salinity is off. Algae is thriving. Oh. They closed, I say they closed a couple of beaches. Nobody's going there. We have beaches that nobody will set foot on. Not only is it cruddy stuff, but it stinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that on the TV about three or four days ago, and it was a real mess. Oh, my gosh. It is just awful. Are you feeling, Patricia? Say that again? How are you feeling? I am. <laughs> Dave Kane said, "Are you feeling any better?" And I said, "No." <laughs> so, um, I have been worse. I think that's a good way to put it. I have been worse in the last month and a half. So, yeah. I that was my father's that. expression. It could be worse. It, and that's just what I said. And it has been a lot worse over these last couple oh, of weeks. My. Oh my word! Oh my word! What a trip. So anyway, I I had. Dinner tonight isn't that great? Anybody? Well, would you that? would you guys say hello to my little Hawaiian girl? Oh, of course. Would we love to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is Anne. Yeah. Where, where'd she go? <laughs> oh, she wants to get her dog. She, she has a dog that she travels with. <laughs> oh, we'll wait for Anne. No, no yeah, doubt I mean, about this is that. Just like a father, lost a child. Annie, this is Patricia and Walden. Hi, Annie. Uh, welcome to California, and 
one day we're going to come and ask if you have a spare room in Hawaii. <laughs> Absolutely, there's there is spare room. We're not kidding. Hmm? I have a qu I have a question for you, Anne. Okay. We have heard legendary stories about your dad telling some mm -hmm. of the favorite stories. What is your favorite dad story? What is my favorite dad? Story? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yep. What is the most memorable, the funniest, the most poignant? Um, the, he I know he played a lot of practical jokes on people. If someone asked you, tell me about your father and something that he did in his life so far that will make you laugh, what is it? Okay, wait, hold on a second. Am I allowed to tell them about the ones with the, the, and the, the, the I'm having trouble hearing Anne. Can you Can't get to your phone a little closer, Anne? Oh, okay. There you so go. I had to check on what is big for was appropriate. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say this? So yeah. when I was when I was really little, probably about five or six, and we lived in New York, I my mother was reading me a bedtime story, and I guess she or I heard something going on in our backyard. Uh huh. And anyway, long story short, my dad realized that there was someone trying to steal our car. Uh-oh. So he got his gun, and he sh he shot a, a shell out the window. And the hell out of these kids. I guess they were kids. And then he jumped in the car, and he took off after them, and he found them down by a golf course. And he told them he was a gangster. And that story he doo-doo. And so, anyway, I guess he made them drop their drawers drop their pants, <laughs> leave there, on their way running down the road in their underwear. This is more than we could have hoped for. Oh, that's a great story. What a great story. Ralph, are you still there, or have you gone to bed? <laughs> He's hiding uh, I'm here, but I, I, I didn't shoot at the kids. I shot into a wood pile. Okay, and and I I believe that. I don't believe the underwear. <laughs> But I, I, I got him up against the fence. I had him spread eagles, and then you get this. Are you a cop? I said, no, I'm a gangster. Oh, my God. I'm from New York, you know. Yeah, and I, they were right by the fence by the golf course that was near us. And I had, like, an 18-foot chain-link fence. And after they took off, I, had, I threw their pants over the fence into the golf course. <laughs> I'm sure they never saw this. <laughs> they never saw this. <laughs> you are uh. a rip. I remember a long time ago, you said I shot the shotgun out the window because somebody was trying to steal my car. Yeah. And that's where the story mm. ended. Now we get the rest of the story. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, uh, it, it, it was right. just a little, just a little shaver. <laughs> it sounds like you're stuttering a little bit. Oh, my. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny the things that happen. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, Ralph, I'm, I'm feeling bad about this, but I'm going to ask if we could move just a little bit faster tonight so I could say hi to as many people as I can. 
Oh, absolutely. You guys ha- have a good evening. You and too. Uh, We'll be sitting here listening to you. Terrific, Ralph. Hey, and Anne, thank you for the story. You are you are the prize winner. <laughs> and we're only into July. You've already won it. She's got tears in her eyes. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> All right, you guys. Have All right, Ralph. We'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, good night. Good night. Bye. All right. Okay, I have something that's terribly un-Christmas, but I came across this. It's a bit of Walden trivia. Uh-huh. And it deals with Dr. Watson, Sherlock Holmes' buddy, and I want to know when his birthday was. When was he introduced into Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes series? So do I get 366 choices? Well, you may, but I'm asking for the year as well. Oh! I mean, I'm, I'm in the big time here. Well, let's see here. Let's figure this out mathematically. Oh, <laughs> 366 days in the year, and it was 1880. So I'm going to say, let's try the year 1881. Mm-hmm. And let's go with February 1st. Well, it really is a little bit of Christmas because it was July 7th. 1852. Ah. July 7th. And so, Merry Christmas to Dr. John Watson. Very nice. The second part of this. Yes. He had a middle name. And I'll I'll give you everything you can have before I give the store away here. (laughs) His middle name begins with an H. Dr. H. I thought it was Dr. J. Not Dr. H, huh? Okay. No, I'm asking for his middle name. I'm sorry. I didn't say that correctly. Right, you did. I was just trying. I was. I. I just couldn't remember H being his middle initial in his middle name. Well, I mean, everything on the internet is true. Well, I believe it. Yeah, the H. I'm. I'm sure because I checked enough places. Okay. So I'm sure of the H, but there was one place that said his name was Horse. What? No. <laughs> Horace Greeley Watson. Okay. No. <laughs> did you just say something that began with H? Uh-huh. I did. Off on a spelling trip. Okay. Horse. All right. This is good. Horse. Horse. H-O-R-A-S-E. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no. <laughs> His middle name was Harnish. I'll never get that in a million years. I didn't even know the H. So, we, we are Gee. There. Another one. Let me see. Oh no, I have another one. Hold on, just a second. All right, stay there, caller. We have you no, on hold. I'm here. I'm here. I dropped. I was on the way to dropping my phone. Okay. So let's do a caller first. Hello there, caller. You're on with Patricia. Yeah, this is John in Maryland. Hi, John. Hello, John. It's so good to hear I'd from you. Like to say welcome back to Patricia. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's going to be sporadic for the next couple of weeks, I think, but. It's so nice to be here. You know, we're going to have her once she's ready. You know. Yeah, I, you can have pieces yes. along the way. Well, we're good. I'm t- sure I'll be able yep. to have pieces at least. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Whenever you're, whenever you're up to doing it, we're going to do it. I could call in and pretend I'm a caller. You could do that. I might do that. You, you, could, do it with, you could do it with different voices. <laughs> Well, Merry Christmas, John. How are you doing? 
Well, I'm not, not doing too well, but... Oh, I'm sorry. What happened? Well, my my legs are giving me a fit. Oh. I, have to, I'm, I have to use a walker all the time now. I'm a little hard. Yeah. But anyway, welcome back. Uh, I can put up with pain, so I don't worry about it. You really are a tough person. I know anyway, that. Anyway, Walden, I heard the other night you had the Cavalcade of America one. Yeah, on my 4th of July special, yes. And you had... Uh, I had two Washington cal- is Alley Ford. Right. And the cook that came in was Arthur Q. Bryan. Isn't that something? Yeah, it was Arthur Q. Bryan. If you listen to it real close, and I, was, and I listened to the repeat, and it was him. It was Arthur Q. Bryan. He was the cook. People who may or may not know, on Monday, I sat in for Bill and Bill and Mike on the 4th of July, yeah. and, and we wrapped up with Kate Smith and God Bless America, and we sent that to right. Patricia. And we had two Cavalcade of America. We had uh, Paul Harvey doing the signer of the Stiffy Six. Yep, and I heard, the, I heard it all. John Wayne and Red Skelton. So we had a good show. Yeah. And, and and that got me thinking. I After the show, on, I looked up Maxwell Anderson. And uh, he was the playwright of Valley Forge. And what an interesting character he was. So it's... It, it's it's so fun to listen to these radio shows, and then I get digging in there and find out a little more about the different people involved. And uh, what what an interesting story, you know, that whole show is all about. Yeah. Well, I won't hold you people up too long, because I know other callers want to call in. I just wanted to say hello and Hello, welcome. yes. I agree. Hello and Merry Christmas. It's so good to hear from you, John. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you very much. All right, John. Take care. Good night. All right, family. 714-545-2071. Patricia will be with us for another half hour. Okay, we got to put her to bed. Before I fade into the fog. Because, before we got to put her to bed because she got to get up early in the morning so we can't have her, you know. You know. Monday. Yeah. Monday I have to get up. Yeah. Oh, oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> yeah. I have a doctor's appointment on Monday, and, you know, everything was really cool because it was 1.30. Yeah. And 1.30 in the afternoon, I can do very well. Mm-hmm. They called and changed it to 8.30 in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how these people function. I have no idea. Uh, why? I, I do not. You know, and after having said that, um, Maybe the most dangerous place on a, on a medical lineup is first thing in the morning. You know, why don't why aren't doctors' office open twenty four hours a day? You know, why do they have just traditional office hours? I mean, people like I, us. I don't know. I don't know. And even the walk in clinics or the urgent care mm-hmm. places are shutting down early as well. And you know, I have signs up: close at eight o'clock in the evening. <laughs> close, we close at nine o'clock. We'll be back at seven. Hold on to your emergency, and we'll be here. Yeah, yeah, that really is smart. Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Well, hello, Patricia. You sound better. Yes. Every time you come on, you're stronger. Thank you, bunches. (laughs) Celeste from Texas. (laughs) I have something for you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I said I had something for you while you and Walden... Talk. I'm going to see if I can find it. He got I'm so un- happy, and then I missed a couple of shows. So 
Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it's something to do with words. What do you mean? Oh, I would say so. I was. I would say so. Tomorrow, for Celeste and all our our listening family, Perry Huntoon will be back, and we're going to look at Bob Chester. Bob Chester. You know what, Walden? I think I got a spanking from Bill Bragg because I heard him talking the other day. Yeah. Somebody who didn't like the Lone Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) I think he thought I was... I think he thought I was serious, and he said, well, if you don't like it, turn it off or oh, something. <laughs> I think somebody uh, was you know, so seriously. You, you know, I, I, I think, I, I figure we, we, I always figure we're, we're, we're the little horsey, what's the word, the mice. I always figure Patricia and I and the candy, the weekend crew, we're the mice that can go out and play, and nobody and the uh-huh, ki- nobody uh-huh. would notice. Cause I figured nobody's working too much on the weekend. <laughs> and there you go, Bill Bragg. I could be wrong. I don't know. He didn't say any names, but I thought, well, I'm the only one that teased you about the Lone Ranger on Memorial Day. <laughs> I thought, well, he must be talking about. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. So I got a Bill Bragg spank. Oh, my gosh, Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> my treat for you is on the other computer. I am in my computer oh. room. It is in the living room. And okay. next week I'll have it for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to tell you, we were, the other night, I listened to you all, and after I had hung up, and you were talking about verbs and adjectives and so forth and so on. Yes. yes. And I wanted to tell you something real quickly so you'll always remember this. Uh-oh. Oh, I hope you're going to correct okay. me. Okay. Here we go. When you conjugate, you use the pronouns I, you, he, she, it, we, mm-hmm. and they. Right. And then you go, I am happy. And happy describes I, which is an adjective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and then, right word, that one. Huh? Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you I... Came up, you came up with adjective. Yeah, yeah, but see... I sent Dan to the, to the library. See, I'm... Well, com- I, I was just trying to show you a simple way. Yeah, so, I, okay, now do that again for me, because I never heard that once, so I... What, All right. What, what going now, on here one? you go. Here are the pronouns that you you conjugate with okay. I, mm-hmm. you, and you always conjugate with program uh, with uh, pronouns. I, you, he, she, it, we, which is the plural, mm-hmm. and they, which is the plural. And then mm-hmm. you you would say I am happy, and happy is an adjective because it's describing I. It modifies I. And doing it in reverse, the, the way I teach, I teach people the difference between I and me. Uh-huh. You start uh-huh. with the me. He walked downtown with me. He walked downtown with John and me. He well, walked now downtown that, with Mary, that, John, and me. So you start with the personal pronoun and just build your sentence around that. Yeah. Okay. Now, in that, in that, since uh, he walked downtown with me, me right. is the object of the preposition uh, with. Mm-hmm. With. 
Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. The, the, okay. The real and, contention with people is the use of I and me, and uh, they tend to get mixed up. Okay. They do. They may, do may, always. May I ask a and, question? Yes. To, to the board. To the board here. Mm. What's am? That is a verb. It's a being verb. I it's, am it's alive. Verb to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can, can, can we modify? Can we modify am? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. And he is happy. Is is the verb, and happy is modifying yes. I or he. He is happy. Is is a is a form of the verb to be. Yes. Is always a verb. Uh-huh. Okay, so what's all the to be verb words? All the to be words. Yep. I am. You mm-hmm. are. He, she, it is. We are, and they are. Got them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the the I and the me that is. Um, you know, it's, I, it's just hard for people to get their arms around it. You know, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh-huh. Said incorrectly. I mean, there's, there's just no excuse for a newscast. May I just say, calculus is much well, more. Well, that's that. That's what Patricia and I are always yeah, having our fun about. Because yeah. we hear the most. We hear people on national news who are being paid. A few dollars. Much more money than anybody will know of, <laughs> and they'll use the craziest things. You know, uh, they'll start yeah. words, they'll start sentences with with adverbs and use all kinds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. just that's what and Patricia and I were always. I understand, but see, I just want to point out. I think calculus is much easier to understand than. What we just went it over. Probably is. <laughs> you think what? I think calculus is much easier to understand. What is? Calculus. calculus? Yeah. Calculus. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. Yeah. And, yeah. And I tend to agree. Yeah. I'm on your side, Walden. What, my, what, Patricia? I'm on your side. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I but now, see, in Spanish, the most. Uh, uh, illiterate, you know, somebody that speaks Spanish mm-hmm. had no school. Mm-hmm. It is impossible in Spanish to say he were over there. You can't do it. You know, when I took... people do it all the time, or I'm... like you cannot say in Spanish, "I seen him." Right. I took two years of Spanish in English. <laughs> I took two years of Spanish in high school. And I found it so much easier to read it rather than to speak it. And, and, I don't, and I, uh, to me, that's just, it, it's, it was an interesting when you way. Speak, you speak, you say what comes naturally, and we are drowning in incorrect English. <laughs> so it's easy to mimic the incorrect or repeat the incorrect stuff. But when you're reading, you simply accept. That's right. That's right. Your eyes are seeing or your ears are hearing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, well, you're forgiven. I can't find my goodie for you, Celeste. I know it's in here, but it's probably on the other computer because I was working. Well, heck. Well, <laughs> Patricia, you you'll save it. You'll save it or email it to Celeste, one or the other. No, I'll save it. Ah, okay. Have to save it. You'll no, save see, it. And, and the British are very sensitive to the word got. Yes. I have got to 
go now instead of I must leave. Uh-huh. are uh-huh. really sensitive to the word got. Now, yeah. that, that seems got. incorrect, okay. doesn't it? Yes. I got like to go. I have to yeah. go. I got to uh-huh. go now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, time. you we know, go. they're always... They're okay. always on us so much oh, about know, how yeah. we ruin their language, but I tell you, they they ruin their own language sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I Eng- I agree, English. Patricia, totally. Eng- yeah. English ruined. Hold on. <laughs> English ruined itself simply by the choices of words that we borrowed from other languages. Well, I heard a theory one time about languages that the one thing about English is always changing, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a fluid. It's a fluid. Language, yeah. But that was the problem with French; it it doesn't change, and so a lot of people think that's part of the reason why it's sort of fading out in the culture, uh, because mm-hmm. because you know, we'll face it, generations grew up uh, French was one of the languages that you learn, if your choices mm-hmm. that you would study, and mm-hmm. it is it's. it's it, it t- seems like taking a little bit of a back seat, in a way, to mm-hmm. just because it's now evolving. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Celeste. We, that's we why to... I. That's why I always cringe over the cowboy shows because they always butcher <laughs> the English language. <laughs> oh, it always gets to me, you know. I see him up there, and I'm going, oh. <laughs> All right, Celeste. We're in the middle of Christmas now. So we have to go to the blackboard and uh-huh. the blackboard, the chalkboard, the the what are the you know the big eraser boards? Yes. They have, yes. They, yeah, they have them in hospitals, so they put your name on it so you don't forget your name. <laughs> 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 your name is on the top line. Um, give me a Christmas story. Of mine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Let's see if I can think of a good Christmas story right quickly. Oh, when my boys were were little, mm-hmm. my husband would sneak out of the back door of the house, and he would come around, and we had a big, big, beautiful door with a heavy knocker, and they would just be ready to go to bed for Christmas Eve, and my husband would sneak around the outside, bang on the knocker, and then come back in the back door, and they'd run to the front door. <laughs> their, he would have their presents there, some of their presents oh. there on the front step for them. And they would yell and scream. And my older son, Paul, would always say, I think I saw Santa Claus. I, I think he went next door. They were just sure they could see Santa Claus, and it was oh. sneaking their gifts to them. Yeah, that's a were great still. story. A very sweet story. You get a prize for that one. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to make a very big deal over Christmas. Oh. We did. Yeah, yeah. That's nice to hear. Anyway, I know that's you're. Nice. I know you want to talk to other people, so I'll let you go. Thank you, Celeste. And I will do okay. my homework this week. Good and night. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, so I talked to Patricia. She's here for another few more minutes. Another Even tw- if you don't want to talk to me, I'm going to be here. <laughs> another 20 minutes, but then we're going to m- move into an interview from the Patricia Archives. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. 714-545-2071. This is my Christmas gift, having Patricia with me. This is oh, awesome. Awesome. 
714-545-2071. All right. The family is awake. Hello there. You're on the air. Hello there. Hi, Ron. Hi, how are you? We are fine. Well, so, no, are you are. asking me or Walden? <laughs> I'm asking you because I know how he is. <laughs> Um, I found out last year he was. I'm I'm doing better. I really am. I'm glad to hear that. And that let me let me put it this way: I am not as awful as I was a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's very. very we're doing good. baby. We're, we're in contention. But we're doing baby better. steps here. We 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 yeah. believe in baby steps. Oh boy, that's, that's definitely a okay. step forward. Then yes. And that's yeah, good. Those are the only ones I can take now. Anyway. That's okay. Just baby steps. That's all we care for, you know? Mm-hmm. And upright baby steps. That, that, you know, <laughs> by all, by all over. That, that would be a very good idea. Yeah. Well, I, I did a butte this week. Yes. Oh, gosh. So how is stuff? Well, stuff's okay. Um, been been kind of busy doing things here. Um, You've been downloading a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, I have, too, man. I really have. I've been going down. Just really been busy. I uh, found an interesting radio program last week that I I really enjoyed, too, mm-hmm. by the way. And uh, it was very good. Um, uh, defense attorney. Very good stuff. Oh, with Mercedes McCambridge. Yes, correct. Very good. She she definitely sometimes gets underlooked as what a good radio actress she really was, and I think so. I think so. I, I believe you're right. Uh, she was uh, really very good. And for people who may or may not, I think we have maybe two or three of them, and basically uh, Mercedes at the lead defense attorney for, uh, working on crime. Yeah, it's a very strong, powerful show. It is, and it's very well done. Mm-hmm. About 1951 or so. Uh, yes. And, and considering, here she won the Oscar a year or so before, and she's still doing radio, so it's, it's pretty pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, for both of you, if that show played in, I'll, I'll throw a dart and say 1975, what kind of reception would it have gotten? Um, you know, it's it's pretty powerful. It may it may have gotten some made some noise. I don't know because it really was a very powerful show. You, well, by nineteen seventy five, though, don't you think um, females were a stronger part in in broad, in broadcasting? So maybe we gotten overlooked. Uh, possible. That's, pretty, that's yeah. really interesting. I did not ever put that kind of emphasis. Tell me what made you say women were a powerful force. Well, I'm thinking by by the mid seventies, some of the strong comedy shows were was a female lead. I'm thinking Carol Burnett, Mary Tyler Moore, Lucy was still on, you know, some of the strong dominant now comedies. I understand. Okay. Well, okay, I had to track you're making apples with radio. Right. And so I'm thinking, Patricia was thinking, I was thinking of broadcasting in terms of TV by 75. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so I'm thinking the climate, if if we had a drama like that, you know, I, I forget when Police Woman and some of those other shows 
hit, you know, about that time, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think the culture was already pretty open to that format. Yeah. So I don't, I think in 51, it was more groundbreaking, a groundbreaking ther- series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said women in, I'll say the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. I had trans, or, or transported, that'll, that'll work. I'm still losing words. I I was looking for that particular show, and then you, you mentioned women in the force, and my brain automatically went to the Barbara Walters type ah, experience. Okay. That is interesting. And, yeah, and that they is. were not dominant in that particular arena, but you gave some really fabulous examples yeah. of how the industry was changing. I yeah. never thought about it. I, I guess if you think about it, comedy was sort of the big break big breakthrough field for females. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I agree. Well, maybe maybe you could attract a wider audience with comedy because that was more universal than some of the other choices in entertainment. Right. Yeah, but, you know... So it didn't I, make I, any difference whether it was a man, a woman, or children. If it was comedy, it was more likely to get some, some attention. So it really was a perfect venue. Well, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking of Maude. Remember Maude, which hit 75? Um, good Time. Good Time, when there was a strong uh-huh. mother lead. There was a, some, a lot of strong female in the comedy field in TV by the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like comedy now, better on TV than it, You're opening all new questions for me in mm-hmm. my head. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s and 1970s, we were just just bathed in Vietnam. Right. And my question now, because it, it was a male, um, the military was men. You, you know, the women might serve in other areas. Yeah. Not going out there in, in the actual fighting zone. Did it mean more to listeners and watchers to have women instilled in their lives when there are so many heartbreaking and, and tragic situations happening all, happening all over the place, and they were pr- predominantly men who were paying the price on that one? That's I a great... Asking, did, did, you know, I, I'm yeah. off on a tangent here. Comedy relief. Yeah. Could be. I think probably it was better received when the women were doing the entertaining than if we saw men and only men doing the entertaining. It just uh, didn't mix with Vietnam. I was just thinking, if you think about it uh, in radio, in the drama side, what was drama for feet, what the daytime soap? We had Dr. Joyce, MD, Joyce Jordan, mm-hmm. MD. We, we had several shows where the nurses were strong, Lady, in the drama, mm-hmm. in the in the daily soap opera dramas, they were, they were strong leads in in that field. So agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Ron, Ron, it's your it's your responsibility to come up with a subject that says, "Gosh, everything was great this week." How's your weather? <laughs> warm. Uh, yeah, what kind of temperatures here. are you experiencing uh, up there? Warm, uh, rather humid the last last few days. Um, not hot necessarily, but, but warm and humid. Do I have you yeah. turned on the air conditioner and, yet? Oh yeah, I've used an air conditioner. Sure, I am. Okay. Are you holding on to your ankles, Walden? 
Okay. <laughs> I okay. have the air conditioning around for a couple of weeks. Oh my. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, see, I'm an imposter, aren't I? Wait a minute. You, you thought you had Patricia. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> no wonder my Patricia been sick. This is not her normal routine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm. I I know that our temperatures are quite different, but Ron is experiencing the after effect that I'm experiencing. Ah. Our temperatures have been high enough to tickle the 100 mark no and when we put in the heat index. Yep. We've had 112, 115. Wow. So it feels like 112, 115, even though the temperature, I'll say, only 99. But, I mean, those are pretty brutal. That's pretty Because here, here, we've been below below average. We're in the low 70s here in where I'm at. For Every degree that you lost, I found. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's over here. So anyway, uh, because when when the weather gets that hot, as it cools off, the humidity skyrockets, and then my equipment is at risk. Yeah. So I turned on the air conditioning, and when it was the next day and okay to turn it off, I put I, I kind of stuck my nose out on the lanai, and I thought, <laughs> wow. So I've been sitting here like a fat little goose. Enjoying the air conditioning, <laughs> and it's cold in here. It's, it's, well, I, I had an uh, interesting situation here last week because, uh, I should say earlier this week, because when we put the new furnace in, the winter before last, <laughs> yeah. let me let me do this, and, and uh, it was, it was, it's much more efficient than the, than the one that, that it replaced. Mm-hmm. Not, not a noticeably more efficient. And last summer... It was actually cold in here, and I didn't realize just how cold. And then this summer I noticed it again. Wait a minute. It does not need to be this cold in here. So I nudged the uh, thermostat up a degree, and it made all the difference in the world. Just a degree. And it made all the difference in the world. It's, it's much more comfortable in here now. Typically, Ron, when do you turn on the air conditioning on in your house, and how long does it take to cool things down? might take a half hour to really start cooling down uh-huh. and uh, I don't I don't turn on until it's gonna until it's getting rather humid okay uh, it might be in the uh, in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, then I'll turn it on because it really starts getting warm in here then um, um, I'll usually leave it on unless I know it's going to be cool for several days mm-hmm. then I'll, or, it, or when it snows in July because it's Christmas oh yeah Oh, brother, don't want snow yet. You can have your Christmas. We'll, don't we'll want snow get there. Yet. We'll get there. Okay, we are down to, what are we down to here? My screen went bluey. Um, we are down to six minutes. Yeah. I want one caller within that six-minute period. So I'm going to make you go home and sit and wait, and then you call back and you talk to Walden. And get the whole world straightened out because the two of you have some really good ideas on how to run the world. Well, we, we can try. <laughs> <laughs> we can. Well, do you think we can? You think we can? Uh, do you think that we can uh, get this mission accomplished? I, I'd like to try, but I don't uh, know. I believe. I believe. I have faith. I'm. I'm always the optimistic person in the family. Mm-hmm. I. I believe we can do anything. 
I believe in you and Jim. I'm going to oh. hold off the world. I believe in you and Jim getting that radio show going. And there's no pressure. <laughs> there's no pressure. Right. Well, I, me you know, I, 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 I believe Patricia's going to do some more awful shows later this year. I believe. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, they've been exce- everybody has been exposed to my entire run, I think, that Larry has pulled off the shelf and filled in for me. While, while you're believing about awful shows, yeah. when when I've been sitting around saying, gee, I wish I could do this, I've been collecting awful Good. shows. Good, good. So oh, my, well, good to you. They're full of them. Good. And all I have to do is the narrative. <laughs> good, good. Well, see, you've been getting, you've been getting, you've been accomplishing a lot, my dear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Right. I believe. Okay, Ron, you have to go to your room, come up with a Christmas story, and if I remember correctly, Christmas is not a major, just not a, a major part of your life. It really did, isn't. Did I remember that correctly? You remember correctly, yes. Okay. Well, Ron, right. I by by Christmas in December, I expect you to do something big, you know, come up with something. Well, like paint, uh, like uh, paint, like paint the Christmas tree white or something. Get do it, Ron. I'll work on it. I believe in yeah. you. Yeah. We, we, we will have a choice of how to behave for Christmas <laughs> of 2016. Because yes. we will be after. Because um, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we, we, have, we don't allow no screws around here. So this is, this is definitely, I believe, stuff. The, oh, we're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. But what has been happening in our political arena is the Three Stooges. That's true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a year. Everybody's going to be talking oh, about this until the end of life. Oh, really. so. Okay, so. you have to call back in 15 minutes. Can you do that? I'll see what I can do. I'm okay. good. Take care, Ron. You guys enjoy the evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Okay, one more call. One more call. my introduction. Yep. Patricia's been working on her masterpiece. She does she does one masterpiece a day. Ah, okay. Maybe. Our last call for Patricia before she introduced our big guest. Hello there, you are with Patricia. Greetings from the Great White North. Hi, Gary. We have been the sitting. Great White up, North. Uh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> we're we're there already. But it's Christmas in July. That's right. So All you, right, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Our temperature has been between 75 and 85. So that means snow? Uh, pretty close. <laughs> um, this this week was has been our coldest. Um, so we we've been, we've been in the in the 70s all week. So how how has the humidity been though, Gary? Um, when it got into up there into in, uh, into the the mid 80s and in the high 80s, um, it got pretty high. Mm. Um, and it it was there was there's been three or four days it's been really miserable and I've had all my fans roll on me and just about ready to break down to put the air conditioner in the window, but I still haven't done it yet. You're holding out. I'm holding out for yeah, it, it must be at least marginally tolerable 
for you to uh, make that kind of a decision. Yes. So you're hanging in there I'm hanging until it in reaches here. 110. <laughs> no, we're nowhere close to that. Even though I am Death Valley, Death Valley today shut their electricity off to the valley for for 12 hours. Holy cow! It's supposed to get so hot there. What did it get up to at Death Valley? I don't I don't know. I didn't see, but they were expecting 116 plus. So okay, we can deal with that. Wow. Just regular heat. <laughs> so, but not, that is not your cup of tea. You wouldn't last very long there. Well, actually, oh. you you'd, you'd collapse Just before a, the rest I, of the gang. I, I got a good working swamp cooler out there, and I got air conditioner in the vehicle. I can I can survive. But it, like I said, I'm only if I go out there, I'm only out there for a week. So. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around. I'm temporarily. <laughs> wow. Okay, we are we are up to my say good night, Patricia time. So I have one introduction to do. Then I'll say good night. Then the phones are open for you to talk to Walden, who can give you an intelligent discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gary. By the way, yeah. Our little show from last night, your awful show. Yes. Yeah, what what played? I missed oh my it. God, and I, it was horrible. <laughs> well, then which I, one played? It was. I don't remember it. That's how bad it was. Yeah, it was I something about so, I did you so had, well that nobody listened. Some guy who had a Swedish accent or something like that. A Swedish accent. Uh, was it Oli from Fermigan Molly? No. Oh, no, that that was an excellent accent. <laughs> but uh, whatever this show was, it was it was. It was so interesting, I totally forgot about it. <laughs> well, I, I did such a good job. No, nobody I, I recorded it, so I, I, I guess I'll have to look at the tape sometime. We'll figure this out. Or else maybe Larry would know which one he did. And, and maybe drop it into my Dropbox. Uh-huh. Me. That, that would be ever so cool. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you how my poor little brain is working this week. Or actually, for the last <laughs> month and a half. I, I said, you know, I never hear the show. I never hear what everybody else hears. So last night I set the clock. I said, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. I set the clock for 10.30, not 10 o'clock. Well, you're close. I'm getting closer. You're, you're, get, right. I mean, you're, get, you're right. That you're, is, you're that getting is close. closer than not even trying. That's right. Well, if everybody wakes up early Sunday morning, they can hear the awful show replay. Mm. Uh, it's. Four and eight, four a.m. or something, I guess. It's it's five or six o'clock in the morning here, Central Time. Eight. Okay, so that's where everybody, anybody listen to it, email Patricia. If you oh, listen, great. if you email, if you heard Patricia off a show this week, last night or this morning, email her at floridawriter at hotmail dot com. That way she'll know. It's ever so good. Yeah. See, I can respond to an email, <laughs> and and would appreciate knowing what these things are. That's right. Because I can pull them out of my files. I just don't know in what sequence Larry has been helping me with. True. So I don't know which show played. So if you can help me with that, that would be fabulous. I will try to. If you do help me with that, it would be even ham- fabulous. If I if I stay awake. Oh, righty. Or wake up. Oh, wake up. And or wake up. Oh, well, check with Larry. One yeah. of the two. One of the two. Two's funny. So, 
Okay. So here, if but you don't Gary, I'm glad we had an opportunity to say hello. Terrific. But other than that, yeah, um, everything's fine here. We're just chilling and chilling. Terrific. And <laughs> chilling. <laughs> well, thank you, Gary. Thank you. You have yourself a wonderful week, and don't fry too much. <laughs> yeah, I think we're supposed to get, uh, like, Wednesday, it's supposed to get 85 and thunderstorms again. Uh-oh. But uh, if, they ha if they happen like they've happened in the last three or four days, all, of, all the thunderstorms it just completely went right around our town. Hit all everything in the north, hit everything in the south, and... It was like we've got a barrier up, and it, they just curl around us. Wow. It's well, thank you, Gary. Being, it's one of the joys of being right here in the center. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy it this week, Gary. Have a good week, and thanks for calling in. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Get better, Patricia. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. That is the family wish of the week. Patricia has yeah, to get better. I got emails many emails wishing me well and get well it's just such fun and thank you for remembering me it, it really it means a lot when that happens and it meant a lot to me so just keep the cards and letters coming at <laughs> 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 florida writer at hotmail.com she doesn't yeah, she doesn't drive a she doesn't ride a bicycle or or more or more one of pop pop thing she's a writer she's a w-r-i-t-e-r oh, yes we, we, a couple of years ago, someone called in and asked for clarification on my email mm -hmm. because it was Florida Rider, like a motorcycle rider. Yep. And, you know, so we got that straightened away. And that's one of the reasons Walden is so careful to frequently spell out the writer part so it doesn't go to a... I copy after you because you started uh, yeah, that. Harley Davidson writer. Yeah. So. Okay, well, I've got an introduction that for an interview we did in 2010, and it is with the mayor of North Pole, Alaska. That was the year we put together interviews, and, and they weren't long. Most of them were 15 minutes, maybe half an hour most. And we picked the names of towns that were Christmas names. Mm -hmm. For example, Christmas, Florida, Snowflake, Arizona, Holly, Michigan. That was, I'm going to do that again this year. We will. That, that was really fun. And the mayor of North Pole, Alaska, gave us, this is Christmas Eve during the day, So, and he said, no, I don't do anything on, on Christmas Eve, and I don't do anything on Christmas Day. But he was with us in the afternoon, so that was really cool. And it was Doug Isaacson, who was the mayor of North Pole, and he gave some wonderful descriptions to us about, um, he talked about North Pole becoming what he called a first-class city. Do you remember even close to the year, within five years on either side, Walden? Uh-uh, I don't. Okay, they I incorporated don't. on January 15, 1953. Oh. And they have been hopping along ever since. Okay. Um, multifaceted area, all of their street names, their street lights, everything, including Santa Claus, <laughs> have Christmas names. So if you check out, um, if you check out the North Pole, you will find Santa Claus Lane and oh, just a wonderful collection of names and a very colorful city. 
Now, it's so colorful that when I went to look for information today to compare that with what I have in my notes, my goodness, they have a new mayor, and I, I can't recall if Doug said that he was he had you know done his course in politics mm-hmm. or if it was uh, I don't think it was runoff. This last election up there, they had the mayoral 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 um, position unopposed. So whoever ran was was the mayor. Ah. And it is today a gentleman named Bryce Ward. He is 30 years old and mayor of the city. And what I find particularly interesting is that he's in his second term at age 30. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I looked at his picture and I thought, my gosh, he looks like he's in high school. Well, I wasn't too far off. So I thought that was interesting. But anyway, we have Doug Isaacson, the interview with him. I think it was, did you tell me it was December 24th? Yep, December 24th, in the morning. It was in the morning for me, but it was probably early afternoon for you. Early afternoon for me. Yeah. yeah. And we started collecting people from all (laughs) over the place. So anyway, this is an interview with Doug Isaacson, who was the mayor of North Pole, Alaska. And he gave us some really wonderful information about the city and the it's, it's a major tourist destination. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's not something you come across on, <laughs> on the side of the road as you're as you're moving places. But this was a winter interview, so he will talk about the warm weather of 29 below. <laughs> they were in the middle of a heat wave. <laughs> it's really fun. So anyway, that's what you're going to be enjoying now. It's not a long interview, but it was one of the richest that we had for that Christmas season. Hooray! And now I have to say goodnight, because I'm getting sent to my room. Merry Christmas, Patricia. Merry Christmas, Walden. Merry Christmas, everybody, and we've got a lot of the month left. Amen. Amen. Uh, amen. Good night, Walden. All right, good night, Patricia. All right, I'll everybody. talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. Okay, everybody, let's go Jaws Professional. Prove music. Prove music. And Merry Christmas to everybody! It is Friday morning, December the 24th, year 2010. I'm Wong Hughes. I hope all you are going to have a wonderful Christmas weekend. I know I will. And Patricia and I will join you throughout the weekend. We're going to have a two-hour show this morning uh, from 1 to 3 Eastern. That's noon at 10 to noon west coast and then we're coming back on at 6 o'clock eastern 3 o'clock pacific and stay up with santa but first we'll say a prayer dear lord thank you for this wonderful time of the year bless all the listeners and supporters thank you for all the wonderful blessings we have with friends and family and being blessed to live in this country we thank you so much for giving us son for us. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I think it's time for me to go get the uh, the first lady, and we'll be back. Mm-hmm. 
bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun to ride and sing in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Oh, we have a lot of fun. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Checking it twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're away. He knows if you've been bad or good, so, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. With little tin horns, little toy drums, rooty toot toots and rum-a-tum-tums, Santa Claus is coming to town. And curly-head dolls, a toddle and coo, elephant boats and kitty cars too, Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids and girls in Boyland will have a jubilee. They're gonna build a toyland town all around the 
Christmas dream. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm a telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. So be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. You mean the big fat man with the long white beard? He's coming to town. Silver bells, silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Ring-a-ling, ring-a-ling, hear them ring, ting-a-ling, soon it will be Christmas day. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner, you Silver bells, silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Ring-a-ling, ring-a-ling, hear them ring, hear them ring, soon it will be Christmas day. of street lights, even stoplights, blink a bright red and green as the shoppers rush home with their treasures. Hear the snow crush, see the kids rush, this is Santa's big day, and above all this bustle, you Silver bell, the corner Santa Claus. Silver bell is busy now because it's Christmas time in the city. Ringling, it fills the winter air. Hear them ring, you hear it everywhere. Soon it will be Christmas day. City sidewalks. Busy sidewalks, dressed Silver in holiday bells, style, in the air, it's 
there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing. Maybe smile after smile. Very soon it will be Christmas Day. Beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door A pair of hop-along boots And a pistol that shoots Is the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that will talk and will go for a walk Is the hope of Janice and Jen But Mom and Dad can hardly wait For school to start again It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas There's a tree in the Grand Hotel, one in the park as well. The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Soon the bells will start. And the thing that'll make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart. To look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door Sure it's Christmas And there's Bing Crosby. It's the beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and it is. Hello, Patricia. Merry Christmas. Hello, Walden, and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we made it. We made it. We have a really special guest today for our listeners who are tuning in from all over, by the way. We do have international listeners, and they run coast to coast. Now, you're in Alaska, and we have people in Hawaii listening to us, so we've got all the bases covered. Doug Isaacson, mayor of North Pole, Alaska, 
is with us. And if you can imagine what things go on in North Pole, Alaska, you're only thinking about part of it. Welcome, Doug. We're so happy to have you. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's 9 o'clock in Alaska, 9 o'clock in the morning, so do not call. <laughs> and when you get up in the morning, do not call the mayor of, uh, of North Pole, Alaska. Doug, um, you're 35 below zero right now? Um, yeah, officially it's about 35, and, and it could be a little bit colder. But see, this is actually 15 or, or so degrees warmer than it was last night, so it's not bad. This is incredible, and you're able to sit up and take nourishment in all of this. <laughs> well, it's easy when you're inside, yeah. Yeah, but... You'll have the reindeer outside, you know, to, uh, to do their business, and they're pawing at the front door wanting to get in really fast. Oh, gosh, do they... <laughs> you're funny. Do, do they have a stable or uh, a, a shelter of some kind, or are they as hardy as we think they are? Actually, uh, the reindeer are very hardy. Um, I was kind of using my dog as the reindeer example on that one, but <laughs> <laughs> they they do stay outside, and um, they're very arctic type of critters, and so uh, uh, they don't mind the cold. They're, they've got hollow fur, and, and it actually keeps them quite warm. So. Oh, so they've got built-in insulation. Oh, yeah, that helps them on these uh, flights when they take off. It was Minus 48 when they took off um, on their round-the-world trek. And they actually took off, you know, early yesterday. I was talking to Australia yesterday at noon, uh, 12.30 our time here in Alaska. It was already uh, 8.30 in the morning on the 24th. And this was yesterday on the 23rd. So Santa has to take off early to, to keep up with the, the clock. And as a matter of fact, he's right over... Uh, British uh, Indian Ocean Territory right now, heading Oh, home. wow. Yeah. So We're excited. We keep up with him, and he, he bundled up. Uh, he called me uh, later on this morning and said how uh, the, the reindeer might just stay in Australia. It was so warm. <laughs> That's right. A little right. bit of a hard time yeah. getting them pushed out of the island, but they've done it. They're they've done it. Well, you folks are absolutely remarkable up there. I'm guessing that most of our listeners, and we can count the Internet listeners, we have no idea how many have tuned in on iTunes with us, but I'm, I'm thinking most of our listeners don't know about North Pole, Alaska. Would you give them a rundown on what your town is like, including the reindeer, how many reindeer you have? What, people don't know about North Pole? I'm serious, you know? I mean, it's just terrible, but we really want you to tell them. Well, you're right, and, and, and let me tell you an anecdote. Uh, first, I got a call yesterday. Um, it seems that Canada, uh, the Minister of the uh, Immigration, is, is saying that uh, Santa Claus has become a naturalized Canadian citizen as of two years ago. <laughs> okay. And I, I had to respond that that was rubbish. Um, <laughs> I, we have the... Uh, Deputy Mayor of Waltham Forest, which is a borough, one of the boroughs around London, who is coming to visit us in North Pole, Alaska, because Santa Claus is an Alaskan resident. He has been since 1953 when he moved his operation uh, down from the North Pole, magnetic North Pole. Mrs. Claus is getting a little bit tired of 
it being always cold, and gee, there's only little people, and yes, they love making all these things, but she wanted more shopping experience, and so um, they moved here close to Fairbanks, uh, where it's just a little bit colder than in Fairbanks. Uh, we're, we're 10, 15 miles, uh, easy drive down the Richardson Highway, a historic road um, from the city of Fairbanks, which is in the interior of Alaska and towards the eastern portion of the state, uh, so we're closer to Canada, but uh, he hasn't immigrated, and uh, I, I went in and talked to Santa before he took his trip, and he, he did, you know, grabbed his belly, and it shook like a bowl full of jelly as he went, oh, 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 over-exuberant, you know, and, and uh, he was appreciative of the fact that everyone wants to claim him, but he assured me he has no intention of moving. So um, he's, he's North Pole forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Very he helped cool. found the town. And really, uh, North Pole, Alaska, was founded in 1953. Um, it was a combination of a couple uh, homesteads uh, that had been homesteaded uh, in the early 40s. We are uh, 10 miles, if you were to draw a circle around the, the, the city, in a 10-mile arc, you would bisect uh, Isleson Air Force Base on uh, the eastern side, and on the western side, you'd uh, be slicing through uh, Fort Wainwright. So we're strategically located right between those two cities, uh, excuse me, those two bases, and um, which they're larger in population than the city of North Pole is. The city of North Pole uh, is still a tiny little town. It's only four uh, 0.25 or so square miles. Half of it is undeveloped. Um, we do have a lot of military influence, as I was saying, and we um, also have oil presence. Um, Santa, you know, in order to power his sleigh, the reindeer, you know, have to be able to go faster to keep up with a growing population, and he recognized the need in the 70s just after the pipeline was built in 1977 that uh, Trans-Alaska oil pipeline, that 48-inch or 42-inch, whatever it is these days, um, <laughs> uh, inch pipeline that goes uh, 800 miles from Prudhoe Bay uh, down to Valdez, Alaska. Uh, we're right in the middle of that line at around mile 400. And um, we have a takeoff uh, from that pipe, and we feed two refineries. There's only four active oil refineries in, Ala in Alaska, and we have uh, two of them. Wow. Yeah. And uh, then we also produce, a, uh, we're capable of producing 180 megawatts of uh, electricity. And uh, the surrounding area, uh, the Fairbanks North Star Borough, uh, we have about 100,000 people in the borough, uh, including uh, an active mine, Fort Knox, um, and uh, several other industries. But we, we consume about 225 megawatts. So of, the of that 225 megawatts of electricity a day, uh, we can produce 180 megawatts of that. So we, we're uh, valuable. And we help make sure that the rest of the state is in fuel, um, as well as uh, we provide a lot of the revenues uh, for uh, the Alaska Railroad. So in, in a big, big way, North Pole... Uh, Little North Pole is very vital for the interests of the state. Um, so when you hear, unfortunately, as we did this last week again, Senator McCain um, 
for the second time in his career, has talked uh, smack about North Pole, saying, well, why do we need earmarks for North Pole? He forgets uh, the value that our little town has to um, a very important state since Alaska is an energy provider for the United States as well. So um, that's the political part, uh, the geography lesson. Uh, we're actually in a valley. We're along the Tanana River, and uh, we've got the Chena River that comes close to it. And, and all the na sounds at the end of these words, Chena and Tanana and so forth, that's Athabascan for, for water or for basically river. It identifies uh, bodies of water whenever you hear a, a word in Alaska ending in na. Um, did I mention we have 2,200 people in the city of North Pole, and we service a, a metropolitan area, if you want to call it that, of about 30,000. That's quite a population for a, a, what is perceived to be a tiny part of the state. And I guess realistically it is by comparison to the rest of the, the size of the rest of the state. But 2,200 people in a tiny community is a lot of people. Well, okay, thank you. <laughs> My goodness. Um, <laughs> well, we, we, we don't think of it as a lot of people necessarily, although sometimes we act like it. When you think the Fairbanks North Star Borough has 100,000 people in it. Uh-huh. Here are the state. We're 7,400 square miles, so we're roughly the size of the state of Connecticut and, and only 100,000. <laughs> so, you know, Alaska is a vast, vast state. Right. And very sparsely populated. But when we do populate, we kind of stick together, you know, type thing. Cluster, yeah. Um, but I looked at 2,200 and I thought, you know, for such a tiny, and you're telling me that the 4.2 square miles yeah. is half undeveloped. Yep. So you, you've got two square miles for 2,200 people, and I think that's an, a, a really a good population for an enchanting community. Okay, now we have to talk about what North Pole looks like. When people show up to visit North Pole, what are they going to see? Well, I'm glad you asked. Right now, they're going to see um, very little daylight. Uh, we have about three hours of daylight, less than four hours of daylight, Although we passed the, the, the 21st, which is our shortest day, as it is elsewhere. Um, so you'll have growing light. But uh, in our, we have um, on Santa Claus Lane, on Signature Street, uh, we have candy canes that are our lampposts. So very tall candy canes, red and white striped. And uh, that helps set the mood. We've got three roundabouts within a quarter mile. Coming off the highway, it's a way of helping... Uh, traffic move uh, through the town. We've got roughly 18,000 cars a day going through it. And um, so we use these roundabouts. And in the middle of the roundabouts, uh, in the wintertime right now, there's ice sculptures. And so Santa's is uh, mushing on a, a, a dog mushing sleigh, as it were, in the center roundabout. And then we've got other carvings, uh, um, and, and that changes. And then also the trees that are in the roundabout are... Uh, gaily decorated with um, different colors of uh, different schemes. Every year it's a different lighting scheme, and it's quite pretty. Um, on St. Nicholas Drive, uh, you're going to take a left at uh, the uh, roundabout over by Pizza Hut, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> gonna, you're going to 
head on down to Santa Claus House. Uh-huh. At Santa Claus House, uh, during the month of December, we have uh, Christmas and Ice. North Pole Christmas and Ice started um, the year after I became mayor. It was one of our initiatives, and it's been very successful. Um, we were trying to induce um, Ice Alaska out here. My business advisory committee members were doing that, and, and um, Ice Alaska has not yet moved from its perch in, in uh, Fairbanks. Uh, and it's a very well-known international ice sculpting contest uh, that has artists from around the globe. And as a matter of fact, I, uh, Ice Alaska, the Fairbanks event, is also one of the um, Olympic event areas for, for ice sculpting. And um, so international carvers. I mean, ice sculpting is a big thing in the Northern Hemisphere uh, Japan, Norway, Russia, uh, China, um, just a lot of places um, have a lot of uh, very good sculptors. Well, we have a mini miniature version of this now. They helped us start Christmas in Ice. And so we have artists from China and Russia and throughout Alaska. And the whole idea is that you have to represent uh, something about Christmas uh, in the sculptures. Uh, the one thing I did ask is that we always have a nativity set, and so uh, whether or not that's part of the, the uh, uh, sculptor's vision of, of Christmas, the nativity is always present in the center of the park. And I think that's only fitting because it is, after all, Christmas, <laughs> celebration of Christ's birth, and so uh, that's there. But then we get to see all sorts of different ways that people envision Christmas in the modern setting. And so you have anything from uh, uh, one year we had a, a Christmas stamp with a moose pulling a sleigh. <laughs> this year, one of the winning carvings is Santa, and his belly, instead of being a big round belly, it's hollowed out, and it's 3D, and it's the northern lights um, uh, slicing through the sky, and there's a little, uh, and this is inside of Santa's belly now. Uh, there's a little cabin and there's some other things that depict uh, uh, an Alaskan setting for Christmas. And very beautiful. And we have angels, we have snowflakes, we have gingerbread houses, just a vast array, over 20 different uh, carvings, and now uh, there's more. They, they add to it all the time. But um, I would normally say uh, you'd be able to see it online by going to um, uh, christmasinice.org, but I don't think they got the web cameras up this year we've had really goofy weather um we had in in november we had it it was actually raining and we had pieces oh, of rain uh that formed into ice almost immediately and uh, we never close our schools and the schools were closed uh because of the ice and government offices closed i mean it could be 50 below and we don't close the schools so it was, it was quite something. So that messed up getting the webcams, and then it became frigidly cold, and the wires don't like to, uh, to go out. Uh, you know, you, you can't bend wire too easily uh, in the severe cold. But once it's up, then, you know, it's fine. It's usually okay. But anyway, I'm rambling on, uh, uh, talking about what you'll see. You'll see different uh, uh, street names. Uh, City Hall is on Snowman Lane as is the elementary school. And uh, then we have 
uh, subdivision with Chris Kringle, and you'll find Mistletoe and, and Donner and Blitzen Avenue and, you know, things like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's festive. Um, we have a, a holiday uh, lighting contest where we help pay people's bills. It's 22 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. And, and then our heating bills are, oh, astronomical. Right now, we're, we're going through, I'm going through over 100 uh, gallons of heating oil uh, a month. And, uh, you know, y- you got to plan to spend about $500 a month just to heat our houses right now. Wow. Between electricity and heating oil bills, we don't see as many Christmas lights up um, the past few years just because it's a high expense. But there are those who do, and they're quite lovely. Uh, Not quite as dramatic as some of the fantastic displays I see on the Internet or on some of these TV shows like on TLC or something. But, Uh uh, again, the cold weather and the high cost of electricity doesn't allow us to do that. But it's quaint. We, we have quaint <laughs> um, visions and ice sculpturing, which you guys don't normally get, especially in Florida. So it's different. It's fun. People come up here in the wintertime just to enjoy um, how we decorate and the northern lights and the ice sculptures. And then soon it will be the dog mushing and uh, cross-country skiing and, and a lot of other fun winter activities, snow machining. Um, this is a great winter recreation area. Um, so come on up, even now. Get on the airplane. Even now. And, it, you know, it, it just sounds like the weather shouldn't matter. The temperature shouldn't matter with all of this going on. Tell me about Santa Claus House. Uh, the Santa Claus House is world famous, and you can find that at, uh, I believe it's santaclaushouse.com or .org, Santa Claus House. I could look it up while we're doing this, I suppose. Um, doing it now. Are you doing it now? Uh-huh. All right. And I'm still tracking Santa, so I'm going to have to open <laughs> up. You know, I, I've got this huge uh, panel of, uh, you know, 52-inch TV plasma screens on the wall as I track Santa and keep up with his requests as he texts us. And, and he's got a little elf that takes care of other correspondents. So I'm, I'm, I'm having to do several things, you know. Uh, at once. So, but I will. Uh, if you're checking, uh, tell me if I hit Santa Claus House properly there. You've got SantaClausHouse.com up here. Okay. And um, you've got a whole bunch of of choices over here about the original letter from Santa. Um, a lot That's, of these have to do with uh, letters. Is that correct? Um, they had the commercialized one of the commercial uh, outlets for letters to Santa. Uh huh. Love to hear from Santa Claus. We almost lost the uh, post office's uh, free version, you know, where you just write Santa Claus, North Pole, and it comes here. Uh, Almost a million letters a year, I was told one year, until they started backpedaling and trying to say, uh, in fact, in front of Congress, oh, no, they only get 100,000 or something. No, it's um, a postmaster told me we got... um, and three years ago, he said we were up at around um, uh, 875,000 letters. Wow. What, what happens to those letters? Well, we try to answer them. Uh, we being an army of volunteers, the Lions Club have taken the lead. Uh, the air traffic controllers back in 1954, I believe, at Ileson, 
uh, actually started the Santa's Mailbag program. And they were taking advantage of the fact that North Pole had a unique uh, postmark. And the idea caught on, uh, not just in, within the military, but within civilians. And so even the post office uh, would send up uh, just bags full of, of letters to Santa, some from across the world, many without stamps even, and they'd make it up here. And uh, volunteers, whether uh, uh, with, the, say, groups like the Lions Club or the Rotary, uh, Kiwanis, or churches, banks, businesses, uh, also within the schools, uh, students would be trained how to answer letters and um, what kind of letters they shouldn't answer, you know, and that type of a thing. Uh-huh. They've been jolly little elves, um, and and they enjoy this. This is fun. Uh, City Hall, we answer quite a few letters as well on behalf of Santa. And uh, it's interesting because sometimes we do find people in real need, and we're able to connect them uh, to some help. Even this year, um, I had an assistant, volunteer assistant in my office who identified a person in need and we gave it to the Lions Club and they were able to uh, identify um, a group in in this woman's area. Um, You know, sometimes people just write to Santa out of desperation. They don't know where else to turn Uh and we're able to help them in that way. But many times, uh, and most of the time, it's just kids uh, saying, you know, their long list, once in a while they remember to be uh, polite and say, Santa, how are you? How are you? <laughs> have a favorite reindeer? <laughs> By the way, here's my list. <laughs> <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for reading this. That's so cute. I, that's remarkable that you have so many people who just pitch in and join in on this and answer so many letters. Who puts the stamps on these things? Well, the Lions Club also uh, operates uh, a pull tab <laughs> center, so it's Santa's pull tabs, and uh, uh, folks come in and buy pull tabs, and proceeds go to helping buy stamps, um, among other things. So, uh, and then a lot of times we just put stamps on the ones our- ourselves that we receive. So, uh-huh. uh, many times people will send it. Like in your audience, they may say, "Wow, this is a great idea." So they send it up to our post office um, or to City Hall, and they say, you know, will you put stamps on these? They've, they're already written out, um, and they've already been put in a stamp. You know, parents who know what their kids want, and they've written uh, Santa letters to their kids. Just Ah, uh, okay. Well, here's the thing. We used to have this postmark, I told you. Uh, uh-huh. North. Well, the post office, in its uh, quest to cut expenses has taken away the North Pole postmark except on special occasions or when you ask for it. Um, This has caused us great concern. Last year, they even went so far as they wanted to cancel the Letters to Santa program. Now, they say it's because uh, uh, possibly a pedophile or something on the East Coast, not here in Alaska, but on the East Coast, was maybe able to use letters to Santa. I think that was bogus. It was just their attempt to... It could have been true. Let me be gracious. I mean, I... I, I well, go been, ahead. I'm on your side. <laughs> they were trying to cut costs. Yeah. And what I have been... Uh, you know, immediately I got on all sorts of uh, programs across the nation and internationally. I, I started saying the Grinch was stealing Christmas, 
it caught on. I was on every show from like uh, Today's Show to CNBC even and, and uh, London and Australia and, and parts in between. Uh, every single state. I, I was on multitude of shows. Uh, talk about being up early and, uh, and up late. We saved the program, and in part of the recognition of saving the program, we erected a uh, candy cane that has, number one, Santa Claus Lane, the official address for Letters to Santa now. And that's so that uh, the post office doesn't have to redact a lot of the information before they give it to us. It can just go... Uh, as it has been going for almost 60 years without any problems over to Santa's mailbag um, where the volunteers are trained how to answer the letters. And so um, uh, that it was safe. And so I've noticed that a lot of letters have come still saying Santa, North Pole, and they're automatically directed to number one Santa Claus Lane and then sent over to Santa's mailbag. So that's fun. But... What we don't have yet is our postmark back, which is, I, I've been trying to show the post office that if they recognize the value of buying a stamp, they will actually make money out of North Pole, Alaska, because people want their letters mailed. People are paying the post office almost $19 for an overnight envelope that has one little letter that's postage stamped already, and they're saying, please postmark this, uh, North Pole, Alaska. And they mail it here. I mean, if the post office can't recognize that there is value even to a little small town and to the post office uh, that this thing is, is necessary, uh, I don't know what's going to shake them. The spirit of goodwill is not always um, uh, evident when, you know, uh, Scrooge has got his pencil out there trying to make sure the... Uh, the, the balance sheet adds up. So I'm hoping, you, I'm hoping, I'm uh, hoping. We're still working with our Congress people on that, but the post office is, is its own entity. When did you lose the special stamp, the capability of putting a special cancellation on, the, on an envelope? I have been fighting it ever since I became mayor in 2006. Mm -hmm. um, they, they brought in a 30,000 uh, person minute or second or whatever uh, sorting machine they put it in Anchorage so all mail coming through Alaska now has gets a, an Anchorage post, uh, postage ah uh, uh, okay unless you request North Pole mm -hmm. then they'll they'll put a North Pole stamp on it sometimes so send it up to us at Santa Claus House uh, or uh, City Hall um or to the post office in, in uh, Santa zip code is 99705 and request a special postmark from North Pole, uh, and you'll get it. I love it. Do you have a, a limit on the number of envelopes somebody can send for stamping? Um, not yet. <laughs> okay. I just don't want you to wind up with a 1,000 from a 1,000 people. Um, if they already have the stamps on them, uh -huh. no problem. If you expect us to buy the stamps, I can't spend taxpayer money necessarily all year long um, putting stamps on, on letters sure. for people. So um, <laughs> just a little caveat, even Santa doesn't get that exuberant. Yeah, um, well, 
in a pre-stamped is a very reasonable thing. So the envelopes have to show up with the stamps on them, and you will cancel the stamps with North Pole as long as they ask for it. Yeah. Great. I love it. Tell me what the biggest celebrations in North Pole are. The biggest celebrations? Uh-huh. Well, our motto is where the spirit of Christmas lives year-round. Um, so December is especially a, a big month with a lot of different celebrations. Uh, the next one coming up, uh, Christmas and Ice goes all month long. Uh, we started the month with the uh, Winter Festival, which is sponsored by the North Pole Community Chamber of Commerce. And uh, that the first weekend in, in the, uh, the month, uh, we have fireworks, we have community sing-alongs and um, uh, candle lighting service. We light the Christmas tree, which this year, it's as in years past, it's right in the middle of the ice park. And one of the ice carvers from China uh, used a um, electric chainsaw that was um, <laughs> too much for the circuit and blew the circuit. So the Christmas tree is not lit because we <laughs> rewire it right now to get that circuit going. Um, so we, we do have a Christmas tree in ice, however, that's 20 feet tall. Um, wow. And for the first year, and some people accused us of uh, not lighting the, the community Christmas tree. Well, it was lit for a couple days uh, in favor of this artificial tree. And that's not the case. We want it both. Um, but Christmas in ice is going on now and will be through January 3rd. And we've got um, a great... Uh, celebration on New Year's Eve. And New Year's Eve, we have the snowflake drop. This will be the second year for the snowflake drop. It's a uh, kind of like being in Times Square in New York, but a little bit colder. Not as many people. Uh, but it's warm and jolly. We, we have the park open, uh, we, which has slides in it uh, and other toys made out of ice that uh, people can... Uh, twirl themselves around in. There's a maze and, and all sorts of things. Um, there's some really big, long ice slides uh, for the adults and, and braver, older kids. And for the little kids, there, there's little uh, slides made out of ice and lots of colors. But the snowflake drop uh, starts at 10 p.m. And uh, uh, we count down the new year uh, with some hot chocolate and a lot of fun. And uh, the snowflake then like the ball in New York uh, Times Square, uh, we'll start descending 10 seconds before uh, the new year. And then when it hits the bottom and we've all counted it down, fireworks go off. And this year there's something very special. They haven't told us exactly what. Santa Claus will be resting up from his long uh, trek around the world and he's going to be uh, out there and he's been probing me. He's been saying, Mayor, find out what it is. And I say, Santa... Even you have to have a surprise once in a while. Um, so it's going to be fun. Uh, I know it involves music, uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, that that was created by um, uh, Tom Ertle, uh, one of our little um, elves, and, and sometimes he, he fills in for Santa Claus. Um, he looks like the bad Santa, though. Uh, he's a <laughs> loving, uh, quirkish kind of guy, um, when he, he, his eyes twinkle, you know he's up to mischief. He's a creative uh, genius, though. So we love it. Um, the, uh, the other celebrations that really attract a lot of attention, we have a Taste of North Pole 
uh, come around uh, March and April time frame that we combine with uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks days, UAF days, and that's a big opportunity. We've got oh, 15 to 20 different restaurants within our, um, you know, within a square mile of each other. Uh, again, uh, it's a great way to, to eat your way through North Pole in, a, in, in short order. We have food from around the globe. We've got a world-famous pagoda restaurant up here serving Chinese food. Uh, we, and we have its counterpart, uh, uh, a local firewalk. And um, then we have Thai food. We have Korean food. We have American food. We've got a diner, um, the farthest north diner, an actual diner up here. decorated Wendy's in the whole world is right here and um, and then McDonald's and, and uh, uh, Pizza Hut of course but, and Subway and we have a country cafe we've got a lot of different places to eat and so it's fun so we celebrate that and then uh, we've got the summer festival which is on the 4th of July there's always a parade and then there's a big what we call the midway uh, and we have contests where we've got a, uh, a bed race, and we've got a green pole climb, and kids can win money, and even adults. You know, so just a lot of fun. And then the Mayor's Labor Day picnic. Uh, we've got the Santa Claus. Um, Santa Claus has cruising with Santa in August. Uh, we also have several runs, the Elf Run, uh, which uh, benefits the Arthritis Foundation. We have Santa's Half Marathon. We have the Jingle Bell Run. We just, we just like to be athletic and outdoors. Um, so that those are some of the things that happen. And I and I feel like I'm talking too much. <laughs> the great, no, that's why we asked you here. We, we just really want to hear about North Pole and the people and what they do up there. Are, uh, in, how, how much of, of Christmas in North Pole, how much of your economy pivots on that? Well, it's... Um, it's a good portion of our economy. We don't really have a way to uh, separate it yet. Um, although we do have a new hotel, our first one within the city limits was built two years ago, Hotel North Pole, um, which I think you'll find online, same name, .com, Hotel North Pole. Um, and then we have the Beaver Creek Hotel, much smaller, it's more uh, long-term and this is a way that I can kind of gauge. The hotel is doing uh, well, and um, and so I can kind of gauge tourist activity that way now. However, um, with Santa Claus House also, that's a great way to, of finding out. We don't know how many are just local and how many come up. Um, in the summertime, we're able to track through our visitors' uh, uh, log cabin um, as people drive through town, and, and so we can get a gauge of how many people are stopping in there. We have close to anywhere uh, from 250 to 500,000 people, uh, tourists, coming through each year into the Fairbanks uh, North Pole area. Wow. And so it's, it's, a good, it's a good part of our economy, I would say, but because we have military and we have um, uh, the oil industry, the refineries and such, um, I'm not sure, you know, if we didn't have the Santa Claus house here and so forth, 
if, if the draw would be as much. So uh, I would say we always have room for another tourist. So again, come on up, folks. Yeah, how, does, how do people get to you? Uh, they can do it one of a couple ways. Um, you can drive up the Alaska Highway, and when you get to uh, Delta Junction, you're going to turn right on the Richardson Highway up to Fairbanks, and uh, you're going to go through North Pole before you get to Fairbanks. So you'll you'll see it because uh, we've got now a couple of local passes. Can you believe? But um, it, uh, all of a sudden, you're, you're going to say to yourself, uh, uh, you know, this is a different place. Uh, it's starting to look like uh, they're taking Christmas a little bit seriously, you know, <laughs> all year long. Um, and uh, so you'll see Santa Claus House on the left-hand side. Uh, you'll, you'll see the visitor center on the right-hand side, Elf Den, um, and, and so forth. And then the second overpass, you're going to say, my goodness, there's Candy Cane Street Labs down there. And you'll know that that was North Pole. Quickly turn around. Uh, come, take the next exit and, and come on back. And come on back. How about flying in? Flying in, you're going to come into the Fairbanks International Airport, and uh, it's an easy 19-mile uh, drive from the airport, uh, about 20, 25 minutes, you'll be in North Pole. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's easy that way. Some people take a, a, a cruise, um, and then they either rent a car or rent an RV, or they, they take a, one of these cruise buses. Um, you can do that. Just plan on spending an extra day when you get to Fairbanks and come on out to North Pole. Uh, sometimes they, they take the buses all the way out to um, uh, into Canada down the Alaska Highway, but not all those buses will actually stop in North Pole. So you do want to take extra time uh -huh. um, sure if you get a chance. And if you like outdoor activities, we're also the gateway to um, the Chena Lakes Recreation Area where we've got a couple man-made lakes, um, and uh, the Chena River is there. With, there's a dam, a small dam, um, that helps for flood control, uh, protect Fairbanks from getting flooded again, as they did in 1967. Um, there's bear out there, fox. There's just a lot of swimming, boating. It's a lot of fun. So um, trails, extensive trails. Uh, so. And there's dog mushing opportunity up here even in the summertime because people will do uh, dog mushing um, uh, demonstrations. Chena Hot Springs is really close by. We uh, claim it as part of North Pole because uh, it's closer to us than Fairbanks. Um, but it's about an hour's drive out of Fairbanks and uh, just a really pleasant place where you can get into a big outdoor rock pool um, last night, some friends of mine were out there, um, and it's frigid cold, but it's warm in that very warm water, and uh, it, it's just fun. It, you, you have to go out in your bathing suit all the way out there. You don't strip out there and then run into the pool. You, so when you get back into the indoor portion, you're more than happy to jump into the hot tub and <laughs> warm up again. <laughs> My goodness. Um, that, that one just made me shiver a little bit. I mean, it's that's like a you know, uh, your eyebrows, uh, they get frosty. Uh, if oh, my you gosh. Don't. Um, I'm one of these gnomish elves, no hair. Um, although I do have a goatee, it just freezes up. Uh, it, it's fun. You, you take on a different look. Uh, women's hair, you know, gets gray <laughs> or white, you know, with all that frost on it. 
Um, uh, where was I going with this again? <laughs> well, I, I asked you about the, the most common questions, and actually yeah. it turned into the most common misconceptions. Yes, well, and, and, and so um, it, it, that's still a funny thing. People are wondering where the igloos are. They see the reindeer, so the igloos have got to be there. <laughs> that's cute. I mean, that is really cute. All right, I have two more questions. Yes. The first one is, how do you personally celebrate Christmas? What do you do that might be a tradition? Well, I, I uh, grew up more with the celebrations on the Scandinavian side of my family, which is Grumkaka and Lefse and Ludafisk and, oh, just good stuff. But I've raised five kids. This will be the first year I only have one child at home. And so we kind of celebrated early. Um, I <laughs> and it's going to be different. Normally the house is full. We've got people coming over. Um, it's going to be different. It's going to be a quiet Christmas this year. So we'll see how that goes. I plan on going over to Christmas and Ice uh, at around noon. And uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus will be there. And I'll be bundled up as well because I'll plan to spend a couple hours out there with them greeting the kids and, and uh, keeping Santa and Mrs. Claus company. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I may go over to uh, uh, a friend's house. Uh, they, we have 20-some-odd 20 people expected to come. Even though it gets cold, we, we like to still celebrate community and, and fellowship together. So um, it's, uh, it's a time where, you know, when my uh, middle boy and my younger boy are here especially, Lots of football. Um, oh, gee. <laughs> I have athletes in the family, and um, my youngest son had several scholarships, uh, and instead of taking the scholarships to go play at TCU or Dubuque, um, he went over instead to uh, Sweden. Right now he's touring Europe because they're closed for a year, he's, uh, or for the, the, the holidays, and so he's taken three weeks off and writing me from all sorts of uh, different places. So... I'm 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 watching exploits of my children around the globe, <laughs> and uh, my my uh, several of my kids are in uh, the Nebraska area, so I'll be skyping a lot this year. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Nebraska is Walden's home area. That's where his family is from. So you said you have two magic things: year-round Christmas, which is his goal, and um, Nebraska. He's a Nebraska person. Yeah, very well, much that's so. excellent, Walden. <laughs> So uh, I, I was very impressed when my daughter, who lives in Minden, Nebraska, which is outside of Kearney, sent me a uh, picture of their city hall, which kind of looks like a mini state capital and complete with a dome, and how well lit up it was. So I, I'm kind of envious that you guys have such cheap electricity you can just burn it like that, you know? I um, had no idea about the energy costs up there. I truly had no idea. <laughs> well, your electricity is probably, you know, around four cents a kilowatt hour. Probably four to all, seven. All cents. I know is that it's cheap by comparison. I think it's a little more than four cents an hour, but um, a kilowatt hour. But it sure doesn't match what you folks are paying up there. Whoa, twenty-two plus. It depends on the cost of fuel. We have diesel-driven turbines or naphtha. Um, we use some coal. Uh, but not as much as uh, would be healthy. Our coal is, is low sulfur. It's clean-burning coal. It's uh, uh, very much in demand in, in Korea and elsewhere. And mm -hmm. 
that, boy, if we could just power it off of that, it'd be a lot cheaper. We're trying to get more hydroelectricity, natural gas. You'd think for a state that has so much natural gas, we'd be using it and having lowest cost uh, energy in the you know in the state. Yes. Yes. Um, it it it's got to Anchorage, but we are still trying to get it to Fairbanks. So amazing. Um, it's just sometimes um, in our thinking in Alaska, uh, we've allowed easy money to make the determinations and not economic reasons. And sometimes we allow, and, and by nature, uh, Alaska is vast. We were given 103 million acres at statehood, which is roughly the size of state of California. But because we're in the middle of 584 million square miles or whatever, um, we, we can't connect it all. And as a result of not being able to connect it, it's, it's what's called discontiguous. Um, it's as if the United States were split apart and you were trying to get to different parts of the United States. Sure. In no state is can you not get from point A to point B to point C um, and, and, and be frustrated by, you know, another state telling you you can't do that. You know, can you imagine some, uh, people of the United States telling the Floridians, you can't build this road or you can't do this. Maybe yeah. they do it in, in the Keys or something, but not throughout the whole state. Mm-hmm. We're blocked by Congress. We're blocked by environmental groups. We're blocked by well-meaning people who have no idea of how vast Alaska is, no idea of how harsh the conditions are, no idea of how careful we are of our environment ourselves. And, and they try to paint us as devils if we try to uh, connect, you know, build a road, uh, create an economy, uh, develop our industries and such, uh, which are vital for the United States. People don't understand that the chair that they're sitting on has things that were mined or, you know, their cars. It comes from mining. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have a big mining state. Uh, people don't understand that wood comes from trees, just like, you know, hamburger comes from cows. Yeah. Um, I don't understand sometimes mentality of our people. We've gotten too soft and disconnected from from the land. We need mm-hmm. to get to the land. And, gonna... and, and so we're stopped from developing some of these things that you would take for granted. And one of those is cheaper sources of energy, which would allow us to, um, to spend our, our money in ways more beneficial than just plugging it into the... Uh, into the uh, uh, big oil companies. So, yeah, yeah. Know. One of the one of the joys of the United States was recognizing that when Seward bought Alaska or the Alaskan Territory, uh, that he was buying our richest resource area. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting that people have lost sight. Okay, here's my last question. Born, by the way, on Alaska Day. Born I was just for Alaska. Seward Ninety is. Ninety years to the day after the uh, Seward completed the transfer of Alaska from Russia, uh, I was born. Oh, what a yeah. birthday! I know. Dynamite. October eighteenth. That's the banks closed down. Um, you know the businesses closed down. Government offices. I feel that if they shut down to honor me, I might as well stay in the state. You know that it goes without saying. 
Well, I think that's really nice of them to recognize you. That doesn't often happen, and Seward comes along for the, uh, for the ride. Yeah, and, and Santa tells me not to think more highly of myself than I ought to think, but I can't, I can't escape the fact that that's not just a coincidence. Santa, I tell him, and he just laughs, ho, 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 you know. It was destiny. <laughs> destiny, you should be the mayor of North Pole. All right, here's my last question. Yeah. Where is Santa now, and is he carrying coal? Well, I was tracking that. He uh, is now in Turkmenistan, on his way to Uzbekistan, and actually this year he switched out the coal to the um, to switches, you know, little branches that you can smack with. The reason for it is a lot of people, including myself, were trying to get on the naughty list because if we got coal, we could burn it and heat our homes cheaply. <laughs> um, I got it. So there I'm not. I'm not going to encourage this. Um, this incorrigible behaviors, I think the term he used. So, uh, no, he's carrying a bunch of twigs. Okay, well, be warned out there, everybody. You're in trouble now. You're not going to get a stocking full of coal. You're going to get really punished. Yeah, you know, I was asked that when uh, I was asked about this Canadian minister and also, uh, you know, Senator McCain, the last time he spoke disparagingly about uh, North Pole, we had a different mayor who sent him a lump of coal. And oh, I, I think he was that. trying to get another lump of coal, so I, I am not doing I'm just going to write him a letter and send him a switch. And same with the minister in Canada. Um, he was trying to get a lump of coal, too. But, no, Santa's not that easily fooled. Bless his heart. Well, Doug, <laughs> I am just so delighted that you spent so much time with us today. Honestly, I thought... Maybe if we got 10 or 15 minutes with you, it would be a gift. But this is just incredible that you spend so much time with us. Well, Mayor, thank you for, uh, for having me and, and to uh, all of your listening audience. Uh, I, I guess you are a tight group uh, and you get together a lot. So it, it's, uh, it gives me a pleasure to talk about North Pole. You never know who's listening and, and uh, who will come up. I, I remember meeting a fellow. I, I was on a trip to Hawaii, and just doing, uh, uh, we were in support of the uh, garden reserves, and uh, I met a fellow who was working there. He now is the uh, commissioner of transportation in the state of Alaska, and so it's fun to, to see this. So we meet people around the world uh, seemingly disconnected, and yet our lives are so intertwined, and, and I think that's part of what Christmas is all about, is just the fact that as a human race, we are connected. And like the angels sang on that first Christmas long ago, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and that's, that's what I want to promote, and I'm glad to hear that you folks are doing the same. We are loving this. Um, I can't think of a better place than North Pole, Alaska, to live that saying with the angels. Doug Isaacson, mayor of North Pole, Alaska, has been our guest for a little over an hour. We are just so fortunate to have you, and I thank you for spending so much time with us. Well, thank you again, Patricia and Walden. I appreciate uh, you having me on your show. Merry Christmas, Doug. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and a happy new year, a prosperous new year to all. Thank God you bless. so much, Doug. Bye-bye. God bless. And we're going to put on a little Bing Crosby, and we'll get our next guest on. Thank you. 
there's our interview, Patricia and I, when we had Doug from the North Pole. It is 18 after uh, 10, and so, uh, almost 10.30, so I will bother getting John and Lori. We'll get him tomorrow, and we're going to, you know, last night we couldn't get Frank Brzee to play over John or Lori's computer, so why don't we sneak in? Frank Brzee, the, of the Friday night show that you would have heard normally yesterday, on July 8th. Well, run Robin Abner. I can't remember if we ever got that off the ground or not. And then Martin Graham did his monthly spot with me this week. We'll play that. So, with that, stand by, everybody. Jaws Professional 1 Sat. Items view Friday morning 1 2 Fibber Mix 2. Blue Mat 1. Yesterday USA 2-0 unloading Japan. Okay, enter 1 Saturday 7. It's the Friday Night Show with your hosts, John Gassman, Larry Gassman, Frank Brizzy, and Walden Hughes. Now, here are John, Larry, Walden, and Frank. It's the Friday Night Show for July 8th, year 2016. Good grief. We're six months through this year. So, Larry, have you written all your checks for the year? Have I written them all? No. Yeah, last year's, yes. Okay. <laughs> this year's no. No. I've written them all. You have. You're ahead yep. of schedule. Yep. As a matter of fact, did you get a check from me? I from Bob. From Bobby? Nope. Oh well you will today okay. then. Well maybe that will cover yeah. everything. I, I know Bobby's been getting her stuff transferred. On video yeah. from Thank the Stewart, so that, that was nice. Well, anybody who yeah. did not get a check from Frank and Bobby, please form a line, and it'll happen yeah. later. <laughs> <laughs> well, form a long, a long one. <laughs> By the way, when you were doing Little Beaver, did did you have to go to uh, where did you get your money? Did you have to go to M to the blue or to ABC to pick up the check, or did, would they mail it at home, 
would the advertising agency have it? How would you get your $35? I think they mailed it to the house. They mailed it. That, that was the way it came. So in those, <laughs> so, so in those days, you had to have a social security number and stuff like that. So you were under 18. So I guess you... I guess that you could deposit the check and the way you went. Yeah. And that that was it. We we had nothing to do. So but, did you, did you save your money or did you spend it once you got the money? Did you always did you spend it at the uh, the movie theater right away? Oh, I spent it. Uh huh. Yeah. I had fun with it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, but a lot. <laughs> Oh. So what were the things you like to spend your money on? Besides girls. Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Uh-huh. I guess, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, it wasn't that much money. Right. So it just, it kind of left my although it was a lot because there were three days a week we were on so when they pay you every week or when they pay wait once every once couple a, week once a week yeah now there were some on, go ahead uh, on what what i was going to say there are some directors like hyman brown in new york would give the money in cash to the people who did the shows so he never oh. sent it did, did did that ever happen to you where a director gave you money? No. No? Well, I think that was so you could save not. on stamps. Yeah. Yeah. No. I was on the, the, the one show for three years or so. So that was all right. And sometimes did you go in and get it or was it always mailed to you? I think it was always mail. Uh huh. They 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 never fooled with it. So, would you a member of of rate? Did you did you did you join? Did, were you a member of that phone service to find out if you had any? It's the one that Lou Loria it, uh, uh, started. Did, did you have any work, or did you radio and? Did you go to the um the director to find out if you had any work for that week? No, I never, I never fooled them. Uh-huh. I just, I played at home and went to the studio, and that was it. Um, I don't think I ever did anything else. Because but I had, I had fun anyway. That's yeah. true. <laughs> for, for about, and I think they came out with booklets. They did. picture in them. Large books, yeah. And... Yeah. I think you could almost count on about 400. I think Conrad Bingham has, still has a copy of it or something. Yeah, Spurdick has a couple of copies, too. Mm-hmm. And they were directories, everybody. They had your picture and the credits and the types of voices you would do. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was Lou Loria started it, and then later on Lou Loria and then Betty Lou Gerson when they were married, but Lou, I think, was primarily responsible for that. All right. In Hollywood. And, and it was R-A-T-E, people... rate. 
And even the way people pick up their messages, an agency or director would leave a message, and then you could call a couple times a day to find out if you had a job. But, right. And you know, I never. Well, that never bothered me. I never did that. Uh huh. And and uh, Can I, imagine, I didn't write it. I imagine they would charge for a service like that, probably a, a fee, you know, to have that kind of setup. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the fee wasn't much. No. Probably $2 a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I well, guess. Frank, it was your, your buddy Tommy Cook's birthday this week. Any, any thoughts about Tommy? Oh, his birthday? I believe yeah, it was it, Tuesday. His birthday was Tuesday. And Tommy's now what, eighty six? Six. He's eighty six. Yeah. No, he's not been eighty six. He is eighty six. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Amazing. He doesn't look that. No, he didn't he sound that old either. He doesn't look that old. And we're planning to have him on later on with us later tonight when he. Stop running around. You're still always working on something, you know. I know it. It's amazing. Well, tell him I said hello, and uh, I've been trying to get to him for about two months now, and uh, he doesn't call. He doesn't call. In fact, I wonder if he's going to the next PBB luncheon. He did, he called me. He couldn't go because he got some big. He got some film project he's working on. Well, the next oh, one's not until September. Yeah. Uh. So he's just been busy. Yeah. Anyway, Frank, the interview we want to play today is to celebrate Marvin Miller's birthday, and he was a busy performer, both as an announcer and an actor. He was. Um, as a matter of fact, one time I said to him, we were playing down at the uh, the big theater downtown, and uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of lot of people in the cast, and he was sitting <clears throat> in the audience all by himself. <clears throat> And I said, what are, you, what are you doing here? And uh, he said, oh, I don't know. I don't have anything to do. I don't have any shows. I don't have anything. And I said, well, wait a minute. Don't you have this show and that show and that? Well, yeah, I have those. <laughs> but I don't have anything else. Well, what about so-and-so and so-and-so and so? Oh, well, I have those too. It turned out that Marvin Miller had more shows than anybody that was on in the cast. And he always had more shows. And uh, he he was always doing everything. And he was always... It was always very nice to everybody, and I guess that's the reason that he did so much for everybody. But he was he was swell. He was he was great, 
and he he was fun. Too. He was fun. Yeah. yeah. It's too bad he passed away so soon. I remember we saw him at the, I think we had him at the first Burback convention. In '84, correct. Yeah. And he died right. fairly soon after that, and it's too bad. Cause we could have used it. We'd probably been happy to do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure he would have. Yeah. He he was writing scripts and redoing stuff for everybody. I I don't think there's anybody that works more than Marvin did. What was the name of the show he had? What was it, a five-minute daily show? Coronet Storyteller? Story? Story, yes. Coronet Storyteller, I think. And he did all the parts. He announced it. He played all the roles. It yeah. was his one-man show. That was on like for eight years or something like that. Before he, I think it was on mostly when he was in St. Louis. Okay. And Chicago. I don't think he, I don't believe he did it here in Hollywood. I'd have to look. I thought he had something, another series in the 50s like that. Under a different name. Yeah, he did probably. Yeah. I'd have to look. And it's just incredible the amount of work he had going. So what's well, well, he did This is the Story for a long time. That's right. Yeah. And he was the announcer for Heartbeat Theater. Mm-hmm. Later, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chick, Frank, Chick McGregor had a bunch of, of announcers. He was on the Whistler? Yeah. yeah. He was the Whistler for a while when Bill Foreman went into the uh, service. That's right. Yeah. The Railroad Hour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was big on the railroad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Billy Book Show, One Man Family. Probably not a show he didn't appear on. That's probably true. First Nighter. Yeah, although I don't think he was on Benny, Jack Benny. I don't think so. We'll have to get out a a cross-reference book. Uh, It's too heavy to lift. (laughs) Well, he Uh, has all those credits in the the big broadcast. I think he gave him a ton of credit, Mm -hmm. so... But you're right, not that many comedy shows besides Billy Burke. I can't think of any. Yeah, not many. Uh, uh, well, there were a couple of comedy shows. True. Here's one of my favorite people in old radio. It's Marvin Miller, this time on the golden days of radio. Thank you for asking me, Frank. It's wonderful to be here. I got a list of shows here. Let me read a couple. The Andrews Sisters, Armchair Adventures, Aunt Jemima, Aunt Mary, uh, Beat the Band, Beulah, Backstage Wife, Billy Burke, Captain Midnight, Cisco Kid, The Carnet Storyteller. When are you going to get out of the sea? And those are the ABCs. (laughs) And you've got that many shows for uh, every letter of the alphabet. As a matter of fact, in Frank Buxton's book, I think uh, you have more listings than anyone else. Uh, he was a good friend of mine to put that many in, I must admit. <laughs> How many shows do you think you've done uh, during your career? You mean actual uh, series? Radio or shows. How many different shows? How many different shows? Oh, it's got to be over 10,000. It's got to be. That's incredible. Yeah. I remember when I did the 1,000th broadcast for Armed Forces Radio. Yeah. That was during the years I was announcing... Uh, the Railroad Hour with Gordon McRae with sure. all the musicals and the then Colonel uh, came over and gave me a special award on the warm-up over before the program because I had just done something that was the thousandth. Now, of course, that was easy to do because they used all of the Railroad Hours taking the commercials out, you mm-hmm. see, 
for the one of the regular series. They called it the Gordon McRae Show, and I had to come over here and, uh, and do special billboards and openings and that sort of thing. And then they carried my old Behind the Story show for nine years. Uh-huh. And long after that show went off the air, which was, I think, in 58, uh, I went to um, Japan in 63, stayed in the Imperial Hotel, and what do you think they had on the English-language radio channel but by behind the story, swiped directly from Armed Forces Radio? <laughs> it must have brought back memories. Yes, it did. Well, this show's in its eighth year, and I'm only on show number 380. So based when I uh, do my uh, 1,000th show, I'm going to be about 75 years old, I think. Uh, may yeah. I intrude with a thought? I don't know whether you've ever mentioned it on this show, and this is today's news, not uh, w- far back, but uh, they're still doing a show for the Salvation Army on transcription. The C.P. McGregor show. Right, sure. Right. We are going to do our 1,000th broadcast this week. That's the show that that was the Heartbeat uh, the Beat Theater. Yeah, that's right. The forerunner was uh, was the C.P. McGregor uh, Skippy Hollywood, Hollywood Theater, right? Skippy Hollywood Theater. Sure, <laughs> I remember that. And you know, uh, now well, you, I'm the host. When C.P. died, his widow asked me to take it over. Yeah. And you never hear it uh, in big city radio because they always put it on in the wee small hours of the morning. <laughs> I remember meeting C.P. McGregor once. Now, you'll get a kick out of this because, oh, you know, he was uh, the king of transcriptions. Everything right. was transcribed. Right. And in those days, you, you should always say this program was transcribed. And I, I met him, and I said, Mr. McGregor, I understand that before you say hello, you always say by transcription. <laughs> and he thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> you started in radio... Uh, about in the 30s, didn't you? Right, the early, early 30s. Uh-huh. I was still a freshman in college, as a matter of fact. And uh, although my voice had definitely changed, I don't think I had much of a beard then. And I auditioned for a show. Uh, actually, I got a show on the air at one of the local stations, which was a one-man show called Lord Algae and Company. And I played all the characters, which eventually added up to some 40 different voices. I wrote it, and I announced it, and if there was a little simple sound effect that you could do manually, I did that too. <laughs> and they paid me the magnificent, or should I say munificent, sum of $5 a program. That was pretty good money, <laughs> though, in the early 30s, sure. <laughs> but for that many characters? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, you went to, you moved to uh, St. Louis. I was KMOX. in St. Louis. That was my oh, hometown. Was... The first station was KWK. That's mm-hmm. where I started this one-man show. The next year in the vacation interval from college, I moved the show with the old scripts for no money at all to another station, WIL, in the hope of selling it. And right at that point, KMOX was bought by CBS. It had been a CBS uh, affiliate member, uh, affiliate sure. station, right. Mm-hmm. But then it became an O&O station, an owned and operated station. And the new program director, Walter Hank Richards, who still lives here in Hollywood, uh, called me and many, many other people in, interviewed us, auditioned us, and he put me on staff as the junior announcer, which surprised me because they had told me at KWK that I couldn't announce. Uh-huh. He said, you're not good enough. <laughs> but he wanted me to be around for a utility hand because sure. they could do all these dialects, you see. And I started out then as the junior announcer on KMOX, and uh, that was the beginning of it do all. Do you remember the station break for KMOX from those days? Did they uh, call it the voice, the voice of St. Louis with studios in the Mart building? Sure. Twelfths and Chestnut. And I always used to swear at having to say twelfths. Twelfths. It's a terrible word, you know, because you've got all those consonants. L, F, T, H. 
and then the ST on street. Uh-huh. So you have five consonants in a row, and you're spitting at the mic every time you say 12th Street. <laughs> they must have had to change those mics about every half hour. Right. Well, you did, um, you did an, an inquiring reporter program, the Elko Inquiring Reporter. Now, that was the kind of show where, where you, you interviewed people on the street? Uh, we had a regular stand. It was in front of the Jefferson Hotel, also on 12th Street <laughs> in St. Louis. And people would come up, and I'd ask them questions that had to do with general knowledge. It wasn't interviewing them as personalities or finding out what they did for a living, although we'd try to get a little of that personal color in. And if they answered the question right, they got a can of peaches. <laughs> in those days, the premiums weren't terribly high. It was always a can of something because Elko was a canned goods manufacturer. Uh-huh. It was vegetables or peaches. Sure. Uh, or fruit of one sort or another, sometimes coffee. And uh, that was the gag. We'd get as many interviews in as we could. And then once a week, we'd go back to the studio and interview people at KMOX who were members of the staff. It was uh-huh. a daily show. That one time a week, I would go back there and, uh, and interview these people and find out something about them. Why? Why did you ask? You, well, I just wonder if you remember the show of April 30th, 1938. Oh, yeah, I got a big memory. <laughs> what happened that day? That was the day that you interviewed yourself on the program. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, today that wouldn't mean much no. because they have all kinds of electronic equipment and tape. But in 1938, it was really something to be able to talk to yourself or talk over yourself. The reason for that, of course, was that this was long before tape or wire. It was actually just the time when acetate recordings had come into being. Mm-hmm. Now, the old recording pro- uh, system, as you and many of our listeners know, was to record a thing on a big wax uh, chunk. And from that, a pressing was made, which eventually, after many steps, became the finished recording. But in those days, when the acetate recording was made, it was the first time you could actually make a record and immediately play that record back. So therefore, you could pick and choose your portions of the record, just as you now can on tape, where this was absolutely impossible up to that time. So that's the reason I did the show. What we did was record first my questions, then record with a stopwatch my answers. And it would sound as though two different people were talking to each other. Mm -hmm. You got a piece of that? I sure do, and we're going to talk about Marvin E. Miller. I don't, uh, you know, I didn't (laughs) know you had a middle name or middle initial. And what is that, Elliot? Is that- yes, where did you find that out? Well, I listened to the recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's Marvin Miller interviewing, interviewing himself in 1938, the Elko Inquiring Reporter. Good afternoon, folks. The distributors of Elko brand selected foods bring you Marvin E. Miller, the Elko Inquiring Reporter. Okay, Marvin Miller. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Well, this is a big day. Of course, we've been promising you for at least a week now that today we were going to have a feature on the air which we very firmly believe has never been attempted or performed on the air before. As a matter of fact, it consists of two features, or three if you will, and, well, you'll hear about them in just a moment. First, we want to uh, remind you of our regular line of procedure in the schedule of our Elko Inquiring Reporter. As you know by this time, on Tuesday at 1 o'clock, we interview our friends, the passers-by, in front of the Hotel Jefferson on 12th Boulevard asking them questions of opinion and general information. On Thursday, they turn the tables on us and they interview us. That's open season on Miller, and they try to stump us, which they usually do. And then on Saturday, such as today, we interview those people who are very important in radio, both the people who are heard regularly on the air, whose voices you know well, or those people whose parts are just as vital to the radio industry, but whose presence you sometimes never even suspect. That's our regular line of endeavor. 
And so, since today is Saturday, we're going to also make today our day of interviewing behind the scenes in radio. But our interviews today are going to be a little bit different and very definitely unusual in character. Well, first of all, the special interview. Uh, our first subject for interview today is a lug that works around the studios named Marvin E. Miller. You may have heard of him at some time or another. Uh, we've never been quite able to find out just what he does. But uh, maybe he'll tell us a little bit uh, today as he is interviewed by yours truly, Marvin E. Miller. Uh, Marvin will interview Miller. And if you're all ready, grab hold of your seats and hold tight because here goes. Here it is. Okay, Marvin, shoot. Well, listen, Miller, I have a question here I've been wanting to ask for a long time. What do you put that E in the middle of your name for? It sounds sort of silly, don't you think? Now, come on, quit stalling. Oh, I don't know, Marvin. Some people claim it adds a little dignity. It seems to me uh, that dignity, initial... uh, <laughs> They should only know you as I... Quit interrupting. <laughs> Once upon a what time... What is it, a bedtime story? Quiet, Marvin. <laughs> Once there was a singer here in town named Marvin Miller who mm -hmm. sang on another station. I'd already been on the air then for about a year with my name. It is my own name, you know, Marvin, not a nom de mine. Yeah, you're telling me that's the only way you get such a name, Miller. Hey, that sounds funny for you to kid about it. It's your name, too, you know. I never thought about that. <laughs> well, since I am a St. Louisan and had been on the air for some time when this lad with the same name sailed out on the airwaves, I didn't feel like changing my name. It suited me okay. Uh, easy to please. I get it. <clears throat> I'll, I'll overlook that. So I inserted my middle initial to distinguish it. E, you know. Uh, Incidentally, no. uh, I spell my last name differently than M-I-L-L-E-R, too, you know. I spell it M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Now, wait a minute. That's not Miller. That's Mueller. Now, listen, Marvin. I don't want to have any trouble with you. It's bad <laughs> enough to have to argue that point with other people, let alone with myself. Okay, okay. As you've probably guessed, the name is German in origin, and in German it's pronounced... Mueller. Woohoo! Well, well, Miller's a lot closer to that than Mueller is, and after all, it has to be anglicized. I couldn't go around here calling myself Mueller. Okay, I'm convinced. But let's get back to this middle initial business. What does the E stand for? Well, uh, I always make people guess. Oh, ho. now we have to play games, huh, Miller? Well, Don Phillips says it stands for ego. Jane Porter says it stands for eats everything, but I don't know. How about Ezekiel? Way off, be... way off. <laughs> I guess you won't be able to guess. The E stands for Elliot, spelled with two L's and two T's. Yeah, it's sort of Eliotic, don't you think? All those extra letters. Listen, like Marvin, that, you know? try to be a straight man for a change, not a comedian. You might use some of that. Oh, come on, yourself. continue with the interview. Oh. Keep the show moving. All right, Miller. Jaws profession. Items view multi-select list box two. Blue Man Dabner Underline 2 Unloading Jock Cans. Okay, enter. One Saturday, 7. That's... That's our ring. Time for the Lum and Abner comic strip. Number 265. Jess Calls It Yonder, Chapter 7. And now, let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well, Lum wants nothing more than to impress the lady of his dreams, Miss Evelina Schultz, the Pine Ridge school teacher. Learning that she admires men of bravery, Lum rechristens himself 
Sir Edwards Hillary, based on the name of a famous mountain climber, and begins climbing Old Piney Mountain. As we look in on the little community today, we find him well on his way again. Listen. This is harder than I thought it'd be. See, I almost forgot my new intervention. <laughs> Since the Kodaker never come from the county seat newspaper, I got my own way to take my picture. <laughs> Even got a snappy name for it. I put this Kodak box Camry on this piece of wood. Uh, and I, I hold it out in front of me. All I gotta do is pull this string to click the shutter. Whoops! I need a new name for it anyhow. Nobody would buy something called a selfish stick. Oh. <laughs> That's right, Lum. You need a new name for that camera device. And you'd better stop fiddling around and get busy climbing again. Music by Mark Ridgeway. For more information, visit our website, lumandabnersociety.org. Lum and Abner is a registered trademark. Comic strip and audio, copyright 2016, the estate of Chester H. Locke Jr. and Donnie Pitchford. All rights reserved. Thank you for reading and listening. Jaws proof. No button to activate. Press button to add escape. Alt F4. Shut down. Restart. Escape. Alt tab. 1, 2. Blue man. Decrease volume. Alt tab. George Wright Christmas. Alt tab. 1 Saturday 7-9. 2. Blue man. Fibber McGee. Friday morning. Martin Graham. Track underlined. Martin Graham's edited spot set unloading job cancel. OK, but enter one Saturday seven. Hi everybody, I'm Wong Xu, and as we we record this, it's Tuesday, July fifth, you know, two thousand sixteen. Hope everybody have a happy Fourth of July, and hello, Martin Grams. Hello, Walton. Pleasure to be back on the program. Yeah. So first of all, how was the Fourth of July weekend for the family? Did you guys do anything fun this weekend? Yep, crabs at my uncle, and Good. then the other day we went to a friend's house at my mom's and went there because we were invited and we didn't want to be rude. And right. We don't know anybody there, so we were there for a short bit. But, uh, yeah, and then, of course, neighbors like to shoot off fireworks and scares the dickens out of the cats who go off and hide. <laughs> but uh, you get front row seat when the neighbors are shooting off illegal fireworks, so who cares? <laughs> Oh, well, first of all, how have you, Michelle, planning anything this spring that's going to pop up here this month? I mean, any fruit, vegetables, what what the... Uh... Actually, uh, actually, after a while, you get used to figuring out which plants last so long. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that's hardy is sugar snap peas. Okay. So I planted them in March. They bloomed in April, 
Um, then by the time early J- J- uh, May came around, uh, I went ahead and ripped them out because they can only grow so much before then they start drying up and all that. So we went ahead and did that, planted another one. Basically, we got more more of them. And just the other day, I think a week ago, we plucked a ton of them. And then the very tops, you could see they were still getting ready to, but it was like towards the end. I picked all of them this morning. I planted more seeds this morning. Ah. So basically, by September, October, instead of people growing it once a year and then they get the seeds, the trick is if you know you can keep planting in the same, and they're only going to last like two months and then you harvest, and that's it for about a week, week and a half. So uh, planted more. So it looks like uh, we're already on the third one in the same plot of ground. So you make, basically you make as much use of it. You have any critter problems that love to eat your free f- fruit and vegetables? We're having trouble with people like eating dead tomato plants. We're, we're, ho- we're growing tomatoes around here, so Dad almost has to build a custom little greenhouse to keep them away while we're growing the tomatoes around here. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have we have some critters. There's a there's a squirrel that's grabbing the peaches. Okay, but I'm not too worried. We have more peaches than we can eat. So he's more than well. He's more entitled to a, a peach or two a day, um, and they're not even ripe anyway. So I don't know why they the squirrel okay. likes them. Um, we did the big thing this year that just started is birds figured out a blueberry bush. Oh. Yep. So now all of a sudden, because at first my wife's like they're eating the blueberries, and the birds have never bothered. Them. Don't worry about it. I go out there. No, they're eating them. <laughs> well, you got a bird feeder. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. Talk them into eating out of the bird feeder rather than your blueberries. Well, we did that yesterday. We planted one. We put one in the yard okay. yesterday morning. I told Michelle, I says, put that there, and that way the, da- the darn uh, cardinal birds and all those other birds that are eating, they'll go there. So just don't have it too close to the blueberries, mm-hmm. or you're luring them to the blueberries, but don't have it too far away. Well, two, two birds going in for it, but they're all still going after the blueberries. Oh, dear. Oh well, not much I can do about it, sadly. So, but the, and the, what they do is they pick a hole in a blueberry and they eat kind of half of it and they leave the rest there. So, I they're see. kind of insulting us. <laughs> you need yeah, to. Put... It's like it's like being at Cinevent convention and a, a vendor who was selling sixteen millimeters discovered that uh, that some of the film cans were empty. They Ooh. stole some film, but they left the cans. And he goes, you know, that's an even bigger insult. So you've got you've got like they're doing it on purpose to laugh at you later. <laughs> You know, it's like, why not just pick it up and put it in a bag? Why go to all the trouble? Wow. So these birds are just picking on them, picking on them, and, you know, they're laughing at us. Anyway, how was your beach vacation? Did you, did you and Michelle have a good time here a couple weeks ago? Yep, read seven and a half books in seven days. Ooh. Two Lone Ranger novels, uh, Renfrew of the Mounted, the first of, I think, ten novels. I only have four of them. i got to get the other six. I will tell you. Um, I've always been more amused at the Canadian Mountie, you know, like Sergeant Preston type characters, but I can never find them extremely exciting. In other words, you know, they joke about westerns as only five plots. Right. With uh, Canadian Mounties, there's pretty much only one plot. <laughs> but I've also noticed that with Renfrew, it's not him going after bad guys. It's more like him sitting around a campfire talking to kids and telling them little stories about what was going on and at recollections from other Canadian mounted police. And they're not even high, huge adventures. Like, they might just discover an unexplored area, and some miners have been stuck there for 10 years because the only wa- way to go in and out washed out, and they've been stuck, and then discovered apparently it wasn't. That's how they found them. So, like, there's actually cute stories, and the prose is really good. So most of the reading material you pick up, or that you pick them up at other conventions and just stack them away until you had time to, to read them, if that's how you 
replenish what you're going to read for fun? Yeah, I get them from wherever. Sometimes from conventions. So I don't like to go home empty-handed. Mm-hmm. But it's always something that has basis of radio. Like right. Renfrew of the Mounted was a radio program. Right. Ran five years. I have four years of scripts. And I think I just found the other one year's worth. Hmm. Uh, the sad part is that a library and they won't let me make copies, so I may have to go there and read them Okay. Um, when I get to that potential project. But I figured I wanted to start reading the books first to find out. And the, the script writer um, who wrote the, uh, sorry, the person who wrote the books and the stories, turns out they were writing the radio show. So I am now real curious to know how good they are versus books. Last night on my Fourth July show, just 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 for fun, I I played a cavalcade of America, Valley Forge from 1942, and I it was a Maxwell Anderson play, and I got looking up his bio, and it's interesting, you know, it's interesting to do research. You know, you hear something, everybody, and then at least I always are curious, whatever happened or what else did they did, and I imagine the way. For you, Martin, you somewhat do the same thing. You hear something you like or read something, then you do a little more background check on and find more material to, to read or enjoy or, or whatever. Yeah, and that's basically what uh, part of the hobby is. And it's also how you can tell people who are in the hobby or not. I call them the Johnny-come-latelys who go on social media, mm-hmm. and all they talk about is... Uh, downloading illegally for free and why people are hoarding, not realizing the very people they're hoarding are the very people who are getting the lost shows out. Mm -hmm. And you realize when you mention, oh, yeah, the books are even better. Have you ever read the book? Oh, Mm -hmm. I don't read the books. Have you heard the shows? No, I haven't heard the shows. So you can tell who's, like at the conventions, you can find out easily. Just tell, you can tell who is um, in the hobby because they've read the books or they went further, like you said, they go a little further to learn a little bit more about the show itself. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. That, that sometimes happens. One thing inspires them. So when you look at somebody who's 27 years old and you go, okay, so what got you into Dick Powell? And then they tell you, and all of a sudden you go, oh. And they go, yeah, from there I was exposed to old radio, or from there, from the radio I went from this. And that's usually more intriguing than just listening to the shows themselves, finding out how other people got exposed to it. Yeah, cause I don't know. Some of us who are diehard, at least I consider myself a bit of a historian so I, of the time period. So when I was growing up, I got studying the music, the history, the politics, everything of the era. And that way, you have a, I think you have a better appreciation when you actually hear the show itself. Or, you know, you get a background. And it, it's just, to me, it's always been the way I've always done it. And Well, that's that's also why you have newsletters that come out every month, like through Spurdback, where you got Radiogram or Rep's newsletter. Yeah. Um, it's not just, you know, like I was reading NARA News. Yesterday, as I was scanning some in the PDF, so I can, clean, so I can give some to a friend. Right. You know, he's never read them, and I said, "Oh yeah, there's an article in one I read where Steve Allen is talking about the comedian. He's talking about how he remembered his aunt May in 1938 panicking because of the Martian scare, mm-hmm. and said, no, the scare was real. My aunt put panic.' And he tells the story, and I thought to myself, "Wow, where do you find that? He's, he writes an autobiography. He's not going to include that, you know, most likely." So you basically you go a little farther, and I've always said sometimes the history behind the shows is more fascinating than the shows themselves. Absolutely. So we are in July. Are you going to be going to any convention here in July or August before you before your shows up in September? Uh, yep, uh, pretty much almost one every weekend, and okay. then at the end of the month, going off to see uh, Mount Rushmore and uh, Grand Canyon. I'm uh, sorry, uh, Yellowstone, which ah. uh, is. Uh, it seems now that our vacation every year is now going to the 
uh, the uh, national parks right. because I find them very relaxing. Um, nothing like I will tell you, there is nothing like watching a uh, um, uh, sunrise yep. when you're in a national park in the most beauty because you hear nature waking. You hear the you heard the yep. birds chirping and the and the uh, squirrels waking. You really do hear that. And nice part is everybody else there at those places also have that deep respect for nature and relaxation. They're very quiet, just like me. Mm-hmm. They, they barely make a sound. They're just intaking the noise. Sure. So we're going there, and that's going to be a relaxing. turns out also it's like the 100th or 150th anniversary of national parks, and we got a phone call from one of the hotels or motels mm-hmm. asking if we would be considered um, changing the date like our reservation to come in a different time, and in return they would give us two reservations for the price of one. Turns out they were selling them months ago before they realized that there was going to be all these jubilee celebrations, and they can sell the rooms for like eight times more. Uh. Not lucky. And our answer was no. <laughs> it was like no. And I over the phone I says, and if by chance it gets canceled, et cetera, you don't want some lawyers coming after you. Just be content. I says, but we will highly praise your place online, and you will get eight times the business in the long run, and sure. you'll be thankful. The guy's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, it, it will be fun to get your impression of, of Yellowstone, because I was there in the 70s, so it's going to be interesting to see what, what have changed over the years, you know. So it will be yeah. fun. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't, we were there probably about 10 years ago, Okay. and we were only there for two days, Okay. only because we'd never been there, and we just wanted to check it out. And this time, we didn't get like a little motel right outside, we got an actual motel I'm uh, sorry, an actual log home mm-hmm. on the inside. Right. So we're going to really be inside. So, you, you know, because they only open to the public at certain hours. So unless you're inside, you don't get those advantages of being out at night, campfires, and all that sort of stuff. Hey, you know, they're showing a new product called bear spray. It's supposedly, supposedly allowed to keep the bears away. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, never heard of that. Yeah, so it's supposed to be a fairly new product out there for, for people who are going to natural parks. You might want to consider picking this thing up called bear spray. Huh. <laughs> yes. No, I, I can't imagine a bear being uh, interested in anything I have. I don't carry honey, but you know what? That's, that's what bears do. Yeah, I I know that it is it is literally wildlife. Yeah. That's when we were there, bison, which is the same as buffalo, it's right. a scientific name, one's a generic name, they were walking right past the window. My wife's driving. She could see the eyeball was almost as big as her head. And they were in their calm and content, but it was like they're there. Yep. They, it's, they said it's one million of acres, Yellowstone alone, one million acres, and has never been, except for the roads going in and out, have never, they've never done anything to alter the landscape or the wildlife. It stays as it is. My, my dad and the two brothers, not too far from up in Wyoming, wound up building, a log, building their own log cabin. Up in Wyoming, so we've always had a fun part of Wyoming because it's definitely right there in nature's territory. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. So anybody who want to see what the beauty of the country is all about, drop in a national park. You'll really enjoy it. And there is history lessons. They did put up like historic sign that tells you little details. FDR in 1934 initiated this, such and such, etc. But uh, it, and it's funny. I, I've often noticed that when you go to like an old film festival where they play silent movies and stuff, people are still talking about The Walking Dead in today's programs. Like we all socialize, but we don't just watch silent movies all our lives. We have lives. Right. 
And the same thing, we not just listen to old-time radio, we go on vacation. We don't sit around the house listening to old-time radio 24 hours a day. Oh, <laughs> uh, Well, what about Mank? Any updates on Mank before uh, before you head out the door on your vacation? Are you going to be, I imagine you'll probably be working on it right up to your vacation and once you get back. So any... Yep. Any updates? Yeah, all the all the celebrities are all set. Uh, the, the hotel rooms are booked. Uh, airfare is taken care of. Schedule of events and movie room is finalized. Um, for the movie room, we added a couple interesting rare titles or all rare versions of movies people are familiar with, where it has like six minutes of footage that's not available on the commercial release. Um, and I know we added one slideshow presentation. Uh, Alan Asherman, who's extremely knowledgeable up in New York, he used to be like a in charge of DC's print library, so he was like a historian for DC Comics. Um, he is going to do a talk about Star Trek. Oh. The TV show hits 50 years this September. Yep. I, th- I think by just a few days from our convention, basically. Um, he's going to do a presentation about Star Trek, and he's the guy who, when CBS needs to know exactly who created what Klingon language for which episode, etc. He knows it off the top of his head and can tell them what day they wrote it. Wow. So this is supposed to be, he said, I'm not going to, he said, I won't do as much generic. Here's, here's when it started. Here's when it ended. He's going to go right down into immaculate detail, trivial nature. It wasn't originally going to be Dr. Spock. Originally it was going to be such and such. So even those who think they know a lot about Star Trek are going to be surprised. I, I noticed a couple of major Star Trek convention companies in August, one in Las Vegas and one in New York, so I, it, I, it makes sense, the uh, 50th anniversary. Wow. Yeah, the, well, I know the one in Vegas is every year. Right. Being a 50th anniversary, that is cause for celebration. Yeah. Now CBS is doing one, I hear, and they're going to do something different. The new series is going to be streamed only on their CBS.com website. It will not be airing on regular TV, the network. And I thought, that's interesting because being science fiction, it's going to cost them more to have be produced. Mm-hmm. And they like reality shows where it's cheap. And I'm sitting back thinking to myself, that ought to be an interesting take and an experiment. But it, Star Trek does have a large following. For example, people, the one in Las Vegas is five days, and 70,000 people show up to that thing. That's a, huge. That's a major. And it's not, if you ever gone to the website, those prices are not cheap. It's a it's a few bucks to get in, uh, especially if you want to see all the different you know side things involved. It's not a inexpensive convention to go to. Yeah, supposedly it's the largest in the country. It is like huge. It's like the convention if you like Star Trek. Yeah. And I've never I I like the original show. I've never been a big that diehard fan to want to go out there and attend that. <laughs> Not my cup of tea. Yeah. Sense. But yeah. it's like, you know what, whatever floats their boat. Sure. Spirit about living in the country, we all have freedom of choices. So. Yes. Oh, okay, so when's the dates of Mank? Uh, Mank this year is September uh, uh, 15, 16, and 17. And it is at the Hunt Valley Wyndham in uh, Hunt Valley, Maryland. Uh, this is the event that. Uh, the only one on the east coast, the largest one on the east coast, and the only ones after next year that pretty much does anything nostalgic in nature, whether it be uh, silent movies to uh, 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 pulp magazines to etc. Because it seems a lot of conventions are either playing by ear, or in the case of two of them for next year, they've announced next year will be their last. 
And one of them even said it'll be their second to last because they're going to hit 50 years and then two years from now and they're going to stop. So uh, we are starting to become the go-to destination. Once one closes up, we seem to pick up that attendance. So of the 16 that you're going to go to, what's the mix? How many would you say film festivals? How many are nostalgic? What's, the, what's going to be the mix, you think? For um, Well, the mix is based on the, the appeal. Um, there really isn't any old-time radio conventions on the East Coast anymore. I know. Reps and spurred back. Yep. Um, here on the East Coast, if you count Chicago as East Coast, there's two pulp magazine okay. conventions. And one of them is being played by ear, okay. as in year by year. It's kind of like, well, we, we kind of crack these even, so we'll, maybe we'll do another one. Yep. Um, the Western Film Festivals, there's three of them on the East Coast. If you count Memphis, Memphis after right. next year will be the last one on the East Coast. Okay. Two of them have announced that this year, what well, next year will be their last. And it's kind of progressing that way. And a lot of people who still go to them, and they hold strong. A couple of them bringing in five, six hundred people. But it's it's a nature of the hobby. It's an, it's an aging fan base, and it's going to continue to progress that direction. It, ultimately, you know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And that's right. always been the debate, rather than keeping it going forever. So it's sad news, but like I said, there are alternatives. Well, let's face it, and that's why you should have been moving the celebrity up to a younger base to keep that as a driving force, but I think everything else, I'm thinking of the film, the presentation, you, you sort of harken back to the to the, go, the golden days of Hollywood or things that we all enjoy, you know. Yeah. So, so that's sort of an interesting mix you got going to keep, you're trying to pull on as long as you can, basically, with the model that you have set up. Right, and while some have evolved by basically changing things, um, an example also, by the way, we just discovered that we can stream online for free now. Oh. So we don't have to charge it. And starting this year, we will be streaming the seminars online. But that's the evolution of everything changes, so let's move up a bit. The downside is that um, it is a deterrent to keep people from coming. Yep. But we figured if you're local driving distance, why would you not want to come? So what we figured is it's a lot like ball games. They used to, Major League in the 50s, fear that if people could stay home and watch the ball games, they won't come to the mm-hmm. stadium. Turns out it was nothing more than an advertisement, and people then started pouring into the stadiums because they got into the ball games. Yeah. So we figured since it's not going to cost us anything, let's give it a try for two or three years. Um, it turns out, and most people may not be aware of this, if you have a Facebook account, anyone on Facebook, you, you can post more than just text and photos. You can post videos, and you can post it live. And it's just a different button, but the button is there. It's just not very widely known. Okay. So uh, we're going to be doing that this year. So if you're on Facebook, like the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, because you can see it live streaming that day. And then the videos stay up there throughout the rest of the weekend, too. Ah, nice. Very nice. So if you have to go to the bathroom, you can pause it. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to be able to see it live when you get back from work, you can push a couple buttons and start watching. Maybe that's what's going to happen to the online radio station. They'll, all, they'll, they'll just use the audio stream part, maybe throw a picture up, and just use Facebook. Who knows? That'll be, will be very interesting to see what happens with the future. Yeah, the, the rule of thumb is, that it's a, the, for the first part I've noticed, is you have to define what makes up the hobby. Mm-hmm. Today, and it has been for a while, you have conventions, fan clubs, you have uh, published reference guides. You're always going to have the recordings and people. And then the question is, if it's going to evolve more and more online, then the question is, how do you evolve it? So the ho- another aspect, such as 
online streaming radio stations are now considered a percentage of the hobby. So when some percentages like conventions close down, if you can replace that by putting it online so that you can maintain, you know, let's say, and here's the odd part, you could boost that. Let's say there was a total of 1,000 people max every year who would attend all the East Coast all-the-time radio conventions. Yep. East Coast conventions don't exist, but on Saturday at our show, we're doing nothing but showing um, uh, all the presentations are old-time radio subjects. So if we get 2,000 people tuning in to watch them live on Saturday, we've actually boosted what was physical as just a different medium. Yep. So therefore, the hobby's kind of boosted. It's just different. And to be honest with you, I think thanks to online, we have exposed it to younger generation who would have... Neither wise have come, like our friend Chef in the Bracker, who's a young person in his early 20s who got interested, who come out and play music for the different conventions. So, see, it's, in a way, it's been a great way to extend the base and reach out to new people. So, Right, and we can also not only endorse radio clubs, and you never know if maybe a dozen more people who watch it at the end of a presentation go, oh, they click a link and they become members of clubs. Right. Um, also, the, the seminars, we could always say, hey, look, you know, it may not be costing us anything, but we did pay for a couple of these people to fly in to come in and do these presentations. Even five or ten bucks if you want to donate mm -hmm. to this one link, you can click it. We could actually cover the cost of flying one of those guests in to do that kind of seminar. Or the other maybe, thing. It may be a no financial loss on our end in the long run. Or maybe if, if people have stuff tucked away in the closet from the grandfathers, you say, we're interested in looking for the kind of material, you might receive some a windfall of stuff for future projects. So Correct. It all works out good. So all crossing legs, and we will just see. And the only way you can find out is just to do it and yep. find out. Yep. All right. So are we going to have any of your books ready by Mank, you think? Well, that's actually borderline. Okay. If anything, it will be the uh, Cholula Bankhead book. Okay. Um, I know the graphic designer was just given that one. And then comes up uh, the, the Truth or Consequences book, which is much bigger in size, and that was more in question of whether that will can be done by then. It may, but it also depends. If it doesn't, I'll have at least uh, people can actually at least pay for it to see it, you know. And hopefully, crossing, crossing fingers. And maybe have some postcards and things out there that people can pre-order it if it's not ready by Mank anyway. Right, that's what I was referring to. Sorry, yeah. it was basically people will be able to uh, um, pre-order yeah. and have it within a few weeks after. I'd like to have Mank as a deadline, but I can't guarantee it yet. If we had a couple more months, I'd say yeah. Yeah, well, you said you can't rush a book. Correct. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and also these are worth it. These are worth it, and again, it fills in a gap. It tells a part of history people may not have realized about mm -hmm. old-time radio. Mm -hmm. So, in the long run, it accomplishes what it will do, whether it's available at bank or not. Uh, any updates on any other book projects you've been working on that you want to um, mention? No, just still working on them. Although this winter, we're going to be going through a ton of material. Um, in anticipation of trying to clean house and have an extra month or two than I normally do free. I think I'm just going to be doing nothing but book after book and subject after subject. And, they, and in case anyone's curious, um, writing a book is like data entry. You're just keying in the information into a, a file. So it's not that difficult. What comes after it, what really is, is all that time of research. But 
you do legwork, you visit 15 archives in two or three years, and all of a sudden you've got enough material that it's like unbelievably jaw-dropping. Wow, just putting this together will cover, you know, 1,500 times more than what's listed in John Dunning's entry in his encyclopedia, and it preserves the show itself. Yeah, one could be nitpicking like I am, but there's a point where I have to stop and say, Okay, I had a I had a hundred mentions on in bold in in a manuscript that was like follow up with this, try to verify the exact broadcast date in England. You know, like when Tula Bank had made her radio debut, if she mentioned it in her book, but she didn't mention the dates or anything. Somewhere along the line, you get down to four or five, and you go, you know what? I'm not holding the book back up another month just because while people are proofreading, just because we can't find these tidbits. And then you have a choice of either being vague, in other words, it was circa 1923, or you just finally say, you know what, just take that reference out. You know, it, it, the book is that good anyway. So for people to find your books, where should they go to see what's available? Uh, they can go to martingrams.com, and from there they can click a link to go check out my blog, where I've been putting quite a good bit of information on old-time radio up of recent, and this winter there'll be even a lot more. They can even subscribe, so that blog entry every Friday will come up to their uh, inbox. Although I suspect next, starting January, there won't be one going up every Friday. There will probably be two or three a month whenever, just because to keep it going, it's it's tricky. Um, we're working, I'm working on it. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I did do a nice article about calling all cars, though, recently, so people can actually learn a little bit more about the the radio show, which I actually find very entertaining, as much as William N. Robeson, the director, and I verified was the creator, um, and the first director and the longest one to direct the show, longest term. um, He criticized it looking back in the 50s, saying, oh, that was the worst thing I ever did in my life. I'm thinking... No, it's really good. It's good. You can. It's not like I can name some radio programs that are terrible productions in the thirties. <laughs> oh, so let's see here. Are there any of your books that are out of print right now that people cannot pick up from you? Um. Yes and no. The Have Gun Will Travel book is now officially out of print. Um. Just discovered, by the way. Thank you for mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um. Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Unless there's a case or two hidden somewhere, as I was cleaning out the basement to make room for some people finishing, contractors finishing the basement, I discovered I have four or five cases left, and I thought I had a lot more than that. And I know they're not anywhere else in the basement. And as I'm moving boxes around, I went, oh, and I I know there's 39 in a case. So I did the math, and I have less than 150 books left. Ah, so, so they are going out of print. Now, they're not expensive. You could probably get 15 20 25 bucks wherever people are selling them. But um, it looks like within the next year, they are going to be impossible to find. And then the prices go up. You know what happens when everyone when there's no more available. Right. And, and everyone who sells it for 10 or 15 or 20 you know, you can't buy it from Amazon. You can't buy it from me. So then they buy it from new and used booksellers. And then as the $10, $15 ones start going out of print, the price starts becoming $60, $80, $100. We've seen that a lot. So I would say if you want a copy of Inner Sanctum and Mystery, I would get it now. Uh, any other titles that are out of print besides those two? That, um, I'm trying to remember. The Isle of a Mystery World, we are not Isle of a Mystery. Oh, uh, that's out of print. That's what I and thought. In fact, I'm actually amused and entertained. I, 
I could get it reprinted, but at this point, it's been out long enough. Everyone should have got a copy if they mm-hmm. really, really wanted one. Right. Um, I could go and print on demand, and I may, but that's going to be a winter project if I ever do decide to do it. Sure. I do find it amusing, though, that just to see how much it goes up for an expensive price. And considering my older efforts are not my better efforts, I guess I'm acting like William N. Robeson, versus uh, the way I have done books of recent, the last six or seven or eight years, and took it up that major notch. I really don't want the older ones to go back and print. <laughs> <laughs> well, you consider Kindle, maybe? One of the ones that are really old that you're for sure you're not going to go print on demand? That could be, yes. And the, the reason I never went uh, digital books is I was always afraid they could take a Kindle mm-hmm. and reformat it and put it into a PDF file and then mm-hmm. start bootlegging them online. But I'll be honest, once the book is out of print and I have no intentions of making copies, as much as I'd say, hey, I still own that, and I really don't want that happening, I guess my concern or care about what happens when it goes digital is getting temporarily shelved farther in the back. So I guess what reservations I have, I'm not too worried. So that's not a bad idea. I might go digital eventually. Yeah, eventually. Just the ones for sure, you're never going to go back and do another rerun, you know. Right. And I know I Love a Mystery. I do want to do an expanded edition. Right. And you and I have talked about yeah. it before. Yeah. And there's that one little archive I need to get to, yeah. to in order to say, yes, I'm going to do it. And I wouldn't mind doing a revised edition later and say, okay, now there's the definitive one. And maybe knowing how many sold in the first print, first few print runs might just do a limited edition and say they will sell out. But here it is, folks, uh, limited edition expanded. Mm-hmm. This is the one everyone's going to want versus the older one so they can have a choice, budget versus value. Another one, I think eventually you're going to update the Cavalcade of America book, which will be a lot of fun. That seems to be like two weeks every year. I sit down and go through a whole ton of them. Mm-hmm. One, the only thing that's holding me up are certain recordings, which I have to do a follow-up to find out. Right. The original DuPont recording, the recording that DuPont themselves had, have been transferred to digital very progressively over a period of time. But the last three years, I haven't gone back to the source to see if they've gone past I think they were at 1944 last I was there, so I have to find out. But what, since they're not all transferred at this point, not done yet, mm-hmm. I'm not really, I haven't been really massively into that project, because I know there's not way I can finish it yet. Sure, sure. Uh, what about DVDs? Your, any, any new releases for the month of July? Uh, yeah, actually a number of movies, including a couple of uh, Jack Benny movies, which are not easily out there. College Holiday from 1936, mm-hmm. which I think had George Burns, Gracie Allen, Martha Ray in it as well, and a Jack Benny movie called It's in the Air, which is actually not referring to airwaves for radio, but rather air as in uh, flying, where Jack Benny is a con man, and he's going to trick up people who are airline uh, pilots to uh, uh, do it. It's, it's not one of Benny's best, and Ted Healy is his um, sidekick, I guess you call Stooge, and it proves that Ted Healy is not funny without the is not funny when he does when he's without the Stooges. Yeah, but it's 1935, and the Stooges have been at Columbia for a year, pictures for a year and a half, and it's worth it if you like Benny. So we're getting some. I've been working progressively on getting a lot of the Jack Benny movies out, and these are from the remastered prints. These are not just any VHS dupes. I'm always picky on quality. Thinking, I'm just thinking of movies. Uh, how how is the bit? You, do you have any silent movies in the archive that you offer for people to pick up through your DVD website? 
silent movies? Uh-huh. Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of them. But at this point, the market for silent movies has diminished to a point where the only time I now make any of them available is when they have a cast actor or actress that people want to see no matter what. Let's That's... say, like, Boris Karloff. Right. If Jack Benny had done a silent film short, we would have that because people would want to see it because it has Benny. Because um, at this point, anything that's a silent film that's major, anything from, uh, say, Metropolis to Birth of a Nation, they're out on DVD and they're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So now it gets vague and you have to be a diehard film buff to really, really want to see every silent movie out there for what's being brought up and found. I think a couple of cliffhanger serials came out recently, and those uh-huh. are always, there's always a market for silent serials. So are there any film festivals that are showing that are all silent movies in the East Coast now, or is it all sort of a hybrid? Uh, they, they're silent movies, but they're mixed among sound. Okay. Early sound, like the pre-codes and the right. early Friday musicals. Capitol Fest in Rome, New York, which is in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, an event in Columbus, Ohio in May. And I think there's one in New York City that occasionally will play a silent or two amongst uh, uh, films all the way up to the 50s. Interesting. And what is the website for your DVD? It's www.otrdvd.com. stands for Old Time Radio. It's otrdvd.com. Now back to Make. Are we still, can we still get pre-ordered? Can people still prepay to come to Make? Where, where are we on, on your deadline for early registration? Uh, um, they can order up to September 1. Okay. But after September 1, it gets the computer cuts off. And the only reason we have that deadline is so people aren't ordering on December 10 and then showing up on the 15th and they didn't get their tickets yet in time. We have a convention to prepare, and we can't guarantee the post office will have it in their hands by that. Usually we are a little bit uh, procrastination by a couple of days. Usually by September 3 or 4 we cut it off. But uh, they have till September 1, and I can't guarantee we're not going to be strict this time, but because people at the last minute go, oh, I forgot, and on the second and third they're ordering a couple tickets, and we don't mind. But um, I would recommend the dinner banquet. I think is almost sold out, so they can pay at the door. But for dinner tickets, if you're going to be Saturday even Saturday night dinner tickets, so I would grab that ASAP. Can people come to the show after dinner? Can they pay a, a price just to come to the show, just in case dinner's run out? Is that ever is that ever done? Yes, they can buy. Uh, they can go to the dinner and watch the evening performances if they want. Mm-hmm. The, the dinner is the paying. What they're paying for is really just the um, um, dinner banquet. But of course, people coming in and they grab a chair and they have to get a chair from somewhere. We don't supply the chairs. Um, those who pay for the tickets are obviously getting a closer front seat. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming, going out to eat and coming back, you have to find a chair, and then you're only going to be in the back or maybe along the side of the wall. The room can hold about 300 people, but with tables and all, we only have seating for 200. And I think 180 tickets are already booked and wow. sold at this point. So there's, it's going to sell out before the show, as usual. Now, what about hotel? Uh, are we are we running out of space inside the hotel, or and are, are people starting booked on the uh, the other hotels in the area? People are booking other hotels. It sold out a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. They added a few, and then they sold out as well. So at this point, we can't control the hotel anyway. It's people's responsibility to grab it early. Um, they could try. I know somebody got one a few days ago, but that's most likely somebody canceled, and then the next person who called, you know, like they had to cancel their reservation, they can't make it. Then, you know, daughter's wedding could be scheduled that date or one of the dates and realize they can't make it. Um, I'm guessing the first person who called after that to book it got it. Let me 
just ask a, a hypothetical theory question. Let's say five years from now, the 16 conventions you go down are down to three or four. And if there's enough demand, would you add another room to the main convention weekend that have more things on display? Would you add another day? Or you think this is about what you want to keep it? Um, Size-wise, taking up the hotel, we can get a hallway down that has a whole bunch of rooms for uh, either museum displays and or additional vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, being their own room, they would have their own key to lock the room. Um, they could bring their own extra tables and make use of it. There's that fringe benefit. But it's not being used now, so traffic coming down that hallway may or may not be uh, um, as noticeable. In other words, you won't hear the audio noise level as it is when you've got 200 tables in the one big room right. farther down the other end of the hallway. But and that can be possible. But my, our rule of thumb is uh, when we add attendance, then we add vendors. Um, so I think this year we're looking at adding five or six more tables, not five or six more vendors. Mm-hmm. First come, first serve. Um, that's pretty much it because the crowd grew 600 people last year, but we want the vendors to still keep making money. So I, I, I give an example. There's a convention in D.C. They had 25,000 people at a convention center. It was like a Doctor Who thing, which is huge, like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And the they, vendors did fantastic. So the next year, they doubled the number of vendors, but the attendance didn't double. And all the vendors pretty much unanimously across the board said, yeah, I did half of what I did last year. Hence, doubled the attendance. This attendance was the same. You doubled the vendors, you thin it out. So that's why we kind of want to only keep adding a few more tables as the vendor, as people come. But if, if we actually doubled the attendance, we don't want to double the vendors. We want to add just a little bit more so the vendors are doing even better percentage-wise and dollar signs mm-hmm. next year. That's why maybe the other room could be due if somebody wants to do a few more presentations. I don't know. You could have two sections going if you wanted to, but maybe maybe that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and we're looking at next year, uh, if we can work out a deal with the hotel and it's going to be financially feasible, we're looking at having museums bring in displays and put out um, displays. There's some within driving distance. And uh, the one thing I would love to have, and again, they would have the key to the room and they could put up a few tables and around in the room. Um, the Museum of Broadcasting in Chicago could always dry, have an employee drive down to the show. Now, yeah, it's a, it's a drive, but we would pay the expense. Um, they have Effie Clinker and uh, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer, Mortimer Snurd, among other items, the originals. And I would love to see them on display. Ah, great idea. That way, here's your chance to have a real picture with uh, Charlie McCarthy, your picture with the real Charlie McCarthy. I think there was two. The other one's at the Smithsonian. You know, I was just thinking, there are, there are collectors out there that collect nothing but a certain artist. Like, I know I, a year ago I had a Judy Garland expert. What he does, he he has collected nothing but Judy, and he goes around to different museums or different places and put them on display. Have you ever considered, you know, people who are personally collected one person and having them to put something on display? That would be the equivalent, too, because if they're that serious a collector, mm-hmm. they would have, I don't know, let's say out of 500 items, there might be 20 or 30 that are prized gems. Mm-hmm. We're talking maybe the original marriage certificate. Right. Or photos where they found the negatives and they just had them developed and it's the first time ever so they're unseen. Right. Something that makes it novelty to look at. 
there's a Three Stooges museum in, right outside Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I know they could put on glass. They've done it before. They get a little tiny room. They put up a bunch of glass cases. And they put everything from canceled checks to the original contract. So if you want to take the moment, you can read them and find out what the terms were for Mo Howard signing up with Columbia Pictures and how much he was getting paid for his first short right. versus a film short versus the second and third film short. Absolutely. Well, I'm thinking of uh, when the Roy Rogers family sold a lot of things off the museum, there's there certain people that bought a lot of those things, and um, some of that, that probably could be put on display at Manx sometime. You know, there's probably private holdings that would really enhance some different parts. So Yes, and I know a guy named Packy Smith, nice guy, and he helps out with the Lone Pine Museum in California. Mm-hmm. He's put stuff on loan, and boy, does he have stuff. So having him bring in a bunch of Western cowboy film stuff that is original archival materials would be a cool thing to do, too, because he would have some treasures. Yeah, I know Debbie Reynolds was a major movie memorabilia. Maybe contact her son and see if they would put some things on loan. Who knows? There's some ideas out there. Yeah, and I think it would be a fantastic idea. Yeah. But we're looking at getting it next year where we can get those extra little rooms down that hallway and start yep. exploring. Yep. So, but that's the kind of stuff where every year you want to add more to it. Right. And so if we can get down there and get them to do it even this year, add a couple of rooms and add some museum displays, mm-hmm. um, which I would like to do, we can see what we can squeeze in. Over time, yes, it would turn out to be something, you know, like the rule of thumb is when you run a business and you should like running a convention, you have to stop and say, where am I going to be five years from now? Yeah. And then try to do that this year. And I've always believed if you can go a step up each year, like another notch above, so there's always more to see and more to do. That would be re- that makes the show. It's not the same thing year after year, and psychologically, people want to see growth. So yeah. they go, oh no, every year not only is attendance growing, but now they've got museums this year, and the next year you want to say, oh yeah, now they seem to have this being added to it. So it's constantly growing. And I think about that extra room. That could be the thing you change out every year, a different display. So it always seems something new to to market. So yes, yeah. Well, Martin, we are going to be talking about Amos and Andy a little bit because you guys can to read Elizabeth's book, and uh, she is quite a historian, everybody. I had her on years ago when she came out the FOTR, and I remember David Siegel helped get an award for her Amos and Andy book, and you guys can't to read the book, haven't you? Yes, and uh, it had come out. After, I don't know if it came out that weekend or not. I got mine years later. Yeah, it was one of those ones I kept meaning to and meaning to, and finally got it. And I remember when I first browsed her Amos and Andy book, the first complaint was there's no episode guide. Mm-hmm. She, she had created a website, and it's not the same website now as it was back then. She was taking the original radio scripts, typing them in typed form, and then putting them up online for people to actually read. So you could read the first four, five, six years' worth of radio scripts. And because uh, I know where she got the script, and it was great. You could actually read the old adventures back when it was a serial format, not a comedy format. Mm-hmm. So we always assumed when the book was going to come out, there's going to be an episode guide. She had started with one, but somewhere along the line, and I don't know why, um, the book came out, it was 250 pages, and I guess if you put an episode guide, it's going to be 800. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just the history of it. But of recent, I, I, even though it took me a while to get one, it took me a while to read it, and I just finished reading it. And I have to tell you, just from a history perspective, you just want to know more about the show, it is fantastic. 
It's in detail. It's simplified. In other words, she doesn't go into, if she mentions that this is how much they were paid when they first started Amos and Andy in 1929, the contract, she doesn't go into all the nitpicking tiny details that come along with those terms. She just tells you the financials. But even basic ABCs for almost 250, 260 pages, it's fantastic. Yeah, and she knows her stuff. And I remember when she used to post a lot in the OTR Digest, you always learn something from her. She she did not. Uh, she she was a researcher who knew her stuff. Yes, and she did. And uh, and what she did is she, not only did she have a website, she was on a Charlie Summers OTR Digest. Yeah. She would post from time to time, and uh, she doesn't do it anymore. But she was posting stuff up. And after a short while, people started realizing this woman knows her stuff. Yeah. And so she built up a little following as an authority on the subject and very knowledgeable on 1930s radio. She is a journalist by trade, so she knew what she was doing. Um, and some people do that. They get up there and they post enough that somewhere along the line, um, the readers will start recognizing certain people, and they'll say, and I used to talk to them, they'd say, well, I, I don't have time to read every three or four days an entire, you know, all seven or eight postings, but I always look at the top to see who publishes, who writes them. Yep. So it's not so much the subject matter, it's who was submitting. Yep. And now the, now the amusing part is um, on Facebook, I've been taking advantage of it and doing the same thing where I post the information and trivia and tidbits. And not that I'm building up an Elizabeth McLeod posting uh, following, but in January when I launch a big project, I'm, I've already discovered when I even made a suggestion, people were up there saying, oh, yeah, I'll be the first. And I thought, okay, I'm starting to build that following. Yeah. Yep. That's how she probably sold a lot of uh, Amos and Andy books, too, is people knew, okay, this woman's the woman you want to get the book from. And then she wound up, Casey over the years, written the booklets for Radio Spirit, so she's been one of the, the go-to person. So they all worked yeah. out for her. Yeah, and, and recent, I know she just, uh, Radio Spirit's just put out a box set. Mm-hmm. It's of Amos and Andy radio shows. And while there's a few repetitions from prior sets, this one's now re- including recordings that came from her direct. And they're from 1929 through the early 30s. And that was an eyebrow raiser because I never had any pre-comedy years. You know, it started as a comedy in late 43. Yep. So I'm looking at going, ooh. So I just got them, and I'm going to be listening to them on the way to a convention this week. In fact, I had to pick up a friend of mine. He's got um, carpal tunnel, so he can't drive, and he's Ah. volunteer staff at the convention. And for our show, too. Right. So I said, no, I don't mind. I'll pick you up. And I said, but you have to understand, we're going to be listening to Amos and Andy for an hour or two on the way. <laughs> and he goes, no, that's no problem. <laughs> oh. And he's going to get an education. He probably thought it was just a comedy all these years. It, it, it has a fascinating history. I mean, uh, really, I'm just thinking of the hours they were on. You know, like... What, in WGN and some of those stations, they were on at 10 o'clock at night or 10.10. It was interesting how late in the evening they were doing their broadcast, I thought, over the years, in the, in the 30s especially. Correct. And uh, it started out as Hank and Henry, mm. the radio program. And uh, apparently somewhere along the line, I think it was WGN, if not it was WGHK or something in Chicago, um, it was a character study two African-Americans, and they would do stuff, and apparently it picked up popularity. Now, keeping in mind, half the shows in this historic hindsight, looking back, it may not have done as successful as it was 10 years later. Um, Sometimes the right programs at the right time because there was such limited um, programming, and it was got very popular, and then they were offered a 
a major outlet, radio outlet, for a huge, hefty price. And they said, okay, and that's when the radio station in Chicago said, we own, we own Hank Henry and uh, Sam and Henry and so on. And they went, well, we created it. And they said, look at your contract. And so they went, okay, we're going to create one called Amos and Andy. <laughs> and it basically is almost the same stories being recycled over the earliest of years, coming up from Georgia and going up to Chicago where they would become, they would get a job because it was during the Depression and so on. And the show got very popular. But one thing most people don't know, is that when Amos and Andy started, they would record them in advance and send the discs out, the transcription discs, to multiple stations across the country where there was not a connection yet, but the network kind of wanted to start a network of sorts. Mm -hmm. So it would air, and maybe at a different time, sometimes the same time, on multiple stations across the country, the same episode you'd hear live on a different station in the country. Which is kind of clever. Yeah. In other words, that's how they got multiple stations. And in a sense, they created syndication because it wasn't done before that. I'm also thinking they're sort of the first ones that I could think of that went to a different location in the winter. They, they used to winter out here in Palm Springs. And for years, I think starting around 37 or so, that's where they, that was the winter base of operation. It wasn't Chicago. Yes. And uh, ultimately, they did them out of New York, and then they went back to California. They went to California. Um, the show, I will tell you, the show in the earliest of years, and most people who've read John Dunning's entry might know a bit of the basics. There's one where Andy was, uh, or Amos was, was accused of a crime and he had to go to trial, and of course he was innocent, and then there was parts where somebody got shot and whether they're going to survive. It was more like Lum and Abner with a little bit more dramatics. And it really was the program. I think at the height of the program in the 30s, movie theaters would stop the movie at 7 or 7.15, put this radio next to the speaker system, and people could hear Amos and Andy because they were getting up and going back home to go watch, listen to Amos and Andy and come back to the rest of the movie. So the theaters would do this, and then they start the movie back. They said public utility use was down. Uh, theft and crime was up to that 15 minutes. Uh, even the president of the United States, FDR, stopped to listen to Amos and Andy six days a week for 15 minutes. They were that popular. You didn't do it in that early part of radio, the early 30s. It was, what other series do you think has the right legacy? In other words, we think of Amos and Andy from the 30s. Are there any other shows we look back upon pretty fondly that had that kind of mystique? you know, 70 years later from that? Um, well, I know Seth Parker, okay. Phillips Lord's program in the 30s, was probably among the most popular as well mm -hmm. of, of dramatic programs. I mean, Major Bowes and Rudy Valley became the big variety, the two big varieties. Right. Um, Jack Benny never really did his stride until around 39, 40, mm -hmm. and that was when, I guess, he was adding the right actors and characters and so on. Mm -hmm. um, in the 30s, I would say Lum and Abner was building but a lot of times, historians, uh, the smart ones like Elizabeth know what they're talking about, but a lot of people, they talk about the show romantically, like it was the most popular show of the decade. Mm -hmm. And you sit back and think, well, what are you using to base that statement? Uh, uh, ratings, financials, listeners, feedback. Some people look back romantically and think that Mysterious Traveler is one of the most popular horror programs. It was really a sustainer, and Mutual never did anything. You know, Mutual really just filled it in whatever time slot, jumping it around that there was no sponsorship, hoping to get a sponsorship. It was not very popular. 
Um, now we look back at it, we love it. There's probably more people who love it now than did back then, but it's because of the recording. You think Smith and Andy was huge. I would say of all the programs in the 30s, most influential, the best, biggest statistics, I would say of a dramatic comedy program, not a variety comedy like Rudy Valley and Major Bose, Amos and Andy was on the top three. Yeah, Eddie Cannon probably was up there too. You think the horror genre, if we're thinking out loud, was just to fill in a certain segment? It was not necessarily a money-making part of the radio business? Yeah, most horror programs, you look back at it, they were all sustainers. Nobody sponsored them. Yeah. Name a sponsor for uh, uh, Lights Out in the 30s. I can't. Or Witch's Tale or Hermit's Cave. Right. Yeah, they were basically, and I don't think they were considered really popular. I think it was just late-night sustained fillers, a local actor or a local... Um, uh, somebody on staff just wanted to do it. It was their the genre they they enjoyed. They hoped it would pick up momentum. Um, Witch's Tale was syndicated at one point. It did spawn a TV pilot in the 50s. It did become a pulp magazine in the 30s. So at one point or another, they were trying to make money off the Witch's Tale. So, and that's the point of creating a franchise, was a show, is to hope it picks up a mo- enough momentum you could even sell the movie right. And I know Seth Parker and Gangbusters was sold and so on. Amos and Andy did their own movie. I will say financially, Godson and Corell were financially set off. When they were each each making $50,000 in 1929 just to sign up with, with uh, NBC, right from the beginning after they left the Chicago station. And this is when they hadn't even, they just created Amos and Andy. They hadn't even premiered. The contract was 50000 for each of them. Wow. That was a phenomenal amount of money during the Depression. Wow. Um, how did they handle the syndication of Amos and Andy? Did they get a piece of the action? Or did, did the, uh, how did they, you, you know, the financial of that? Yeah, they got, they did get a piece of the action. And good money, decent money, too. Yeah. Um, not bad at all. They, um, I wouldn't say it was phenomenal, mm-hmm. super phenomenal, but it was probably a small percentage based upon the bigger, the more popular the show became, the more they could start making demand. It's a lot like today where they'll turn around and say, well, we're not sure if it's going to make phenomenal. Why don't we give you 5% of T-shirt sales? But if the show goes over X number of ratings, we'll start giving you 7.5% and 10% and so on. A lot of contracts were done that way. Um, for syndication, it became the, lar- the, the largest, uh, you know, the l- more wattage you had, yeah. the more it would cost for the disc. But early on for Amos and Andy, uh, and she doesn't go into detail, I would imagine that first year or two, it was a flat fee for the disc. They just wanted to get the show out there, and knowing once it picks up huge momentum, they could start making prices. Because if a local station sold sponsorship, and they're making a profit, and then it's picked up that momentum. Gosden and Corral could have then turned around and said, okay, it's twice the price for the discs. Uh, if you can't make a profit that way or you're just covering even, talk to your sponsor. And I would have no doubt most of them said yes and renewed still. Interesting. I think after 48, they sold the property to CBS. And I think the last several years they stayed on because that showed where the contract. I'm thinking of the Amos and Andy Music Hall, everybody. So if you think about yeah. it, they were on radio from the 20s up to 1960. That's a pretty good, pretty good run. Yes, and and I'll be honest, they went far. I mean, the set that Mark Tepper came out, which I am heavily endorsing, is an excellent, excellent example of a little of everything from ex- 
except the, the Christmas episode, which everybody is familiar with, yeah. where uh, you know, Amos ends up uh, dressed up, uh, sorry, Andy ends up dressed up as Santa Claus right. and so on. Um, there's the episode where Amos and Ruby have their third child. There's the episode where Kingfish is, uh, Kingfish is found not guilty on a trial. Mm-hmm. There's the earliest surviving episode known to exist, the last 15-minute episode before it became a comedy. There's an episode of Amos and Andy's Music Hall, which was done in the 50s after it stopped being a comedy. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it's an excellent example for anyone who always thought it was just a weekly comedy and Kingfish is trying to trick Andy into a... Um, Amos and uh, Andy into a, a scheme. Mm, this set is, pa- is magnificent. Wow! And actually, Elizabeth does great night liner notes. Although I noticed a big chunk of it is pretty much what comes from her book. But it's a great recap, especially for the early years, to say this was not just a comedy. Well, I think it's time. Let's go ahead and play a show, everybody. Stand by. Ah, definitely like CD players, huh? Let's see here. I all queued up for Amos and Andy. And now we gotta run off the old CD. Okay, let's see if this works. It's the Amos and Andy Christmas Show, brought to you by Rinso, the only soap that contains solium. Christmas Eve of 1950, Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Rinso with Sodium, again brings you the Amos and Andy Christmas Show. And now, here they are with their Christmas cast and Jeff Alexander and his orchestra and chorus, radio's all-time favorites, Amos and Andy! Well, this is Sunday, Christmas Eve. But let's go back to yesterday morning. Andy's out with Amos's little girl, Arbadella, on their annual tour of the store windows. Well, let's look in this window, Uncle Andy. Yeah, they sure got a lot of toys in there, ain't they? I've never seen so many toys. It's just like something you dream about. Yeah. Hey, there's something cute there. There's a paint set. Look what it's there there. Junior paint set, $12.95, complete with easel. What's an easel, Uncle Andy? Easel? It's one of them things, uh... Well, all artists have got them. They can't do without them. <laughs> but, but what do they use them for? Well, they wears them on the head. Uh, <laughs> got a little tassel on them. It keeps the head warm while they're painting. That's what they're oh, Uncle Andy, you know everything, don't you? Well, most everything. A couple of things might have slipped by me. I don't know. Look, that's cute. What does that say? 
that's a baby doll set complete with preambulator. What's a preambulator, Uncle Andy? Well, uh, it's just like one of them measles, but it ain't got no tassel on it. <laughs> Joe is a pretty doll, Arbadella. Yes, that's a talking doll. That's the one I wrote nice Santa Claus to bring me. But Daddy said I wrote the letter too late. You see, I only wrote it two days ago. Yeah, well, maybe your papa ain't got the money. I mean, uh, that ain't giving Santa Claus much time. You gotta write him before that. Oh, isn't she pretty, though, Uncle Andy? Daddy said Santa Claus would bring her to me next Christmas. Oh, sure. You see, that'll give him more time. We're having a good time today, ain't we, Uncle Andy? I like being out with you. Yes, and I like being out with you, too, Arbadella. But there ain't no sense of us standing outside this window eyeballing that doll all day. I guess we gotta get on home now. Oh, Uncle Andy, couldn't I just look at the talking doll once more? Oh, sure, Arbadella, go ahead. <sighs> that sure is a pretty dress she's got on. But when Santa Claus brings it to me next year, I'm going to make her a lot more pretty dresses, pink ones. I can hardly wait till next Christmas. It's only a year. Oh, come in, King. Well, Chris. well, brother, and the Merry Christmas greetings of the season. Say, what you doing stretched out in bed there? Oh, I'm just laying down for a minute. I got a little woozy while I was out Christmas shopping with Arbadella. Yeah, well, you don't look too good around the gills. Don't I? Yeah, you look a little like a flounder that's just been gaffed. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I got a little strenuous out Christmas shopping for all your dear friends and... You want to remember special this time of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. I... I took my temperature a few minutes ago, and the thermostat went up to 101. Uh, 101? That ain't good, Ender. Well, did that mean I was sick? Well, Ender, I don't want to alarm you or nothing, but I had a cat once that had a temperature of 101. The next thing I knew, she started foaming at the mouth. Then she dove through the dining room window, landed on the street, and climbed 40 feet up a 20-foot tree. <laughs> And a half hour later, she had a litter of kittens, too. Yeah, well, I don't think that I is that sick. Well, Andrew, like I say, you probably wore yourself out with too much Christmas shopping. So I'm going to do you a big favor, boy. Yeah. Instead of having you come all the way up to my house with that big present that I know you done bought for me, I'll just take the thing with me now, save you the trip. See, Andrew, I always thinking of you. What kind of a pal would I be to let a sick man lug a great big box up to my house on Christmas Eve? Yeah, you've got to think of your friends on Christmas. It's the spirit of good cheer, peace on earth, and mistletoe and all that. Uh, kingfish. Yeah, this season, I kind of choke up, Andy. I was filled with the spirit of friendship and brotherly love. Uh, kingfish. Oh, what is it, Andy, old pal? I ain't got no present for you. How would you like to have a punch in the mouth? Listen, Kingfish, don't you say nothing to me. I give you that pen and pencil set last year, and you didn't give me nothing. Yeah, well, Andrew, I can explain that to you. Now, wait a minute. I'll tell you what I've done now. I done bought you a box of fine cigars. Uh -huh. You know, Corona Coronas. Hmm. And I wanted them to be perfect for you. Uh -huh. And I thought I'd puff on one to see how they was. 
And the first one seemed to be a little too dry. So wherever I finished that one, I decided to puff on another one, and that one was too moist, you see. So I thought I'd try another one. Well, anyway, between the puffing and the drying and the moisting, why, the next thing I know, your Christmas went up in smoke, and it? <laughs> well, Kingfish, you see, it was all I could do to manage to scrape up something for Amos and his kids. I was too broke to get you anything this Christmas, Kingfish. Yeah, well, and uh, I was just thinking now, if you want to go down to the friendly loan company on the corner, why, they'd be glad to let you have... Uh, come in. Oh, hi, Lightning, hi. Uh, good morning, Brother Andy. How are you, Brother Kingfish? Well, Lightning, I'm uh, glad you dropped by. I was just thinking about you. You know, you got to think of your friends at Christmas time. It's the spirit of good cheer, peace on earth. And this time of the year when the spirit of friendship and brotherly love spreads throughout the world. Kingfish, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to punch you right in the nose. You hear that? All right, all right. There certainly is a fine attitude to take at Christmas time. Goodbye to both of you bums. Well, Lightning, I see you done wrapped up them presents for me like I asked you to. Oh, uh, yeah, sir. I done wrapped each one of them separate. Uh... Yeah, well, that's good. But wait a minute, Sheriff. How am I going to know which one is the crayons? Uh, oh, well, that's simple, Miss Andy. You see, on the crayons there, I put a K. Wait a minute. Lightning, don't you know that crayon starts with a C? Yeah, I do. Certainly. C-R-O-U-T-O-N-S. Crayon. <laughs> well, uh, you, you ain't giving away many presents this year, is you, Miss Andy? No, I got a little something for Amos and Ruby. These toy soldiers I got for Amos Jr. is all right, but I don't know if Abadella's going to like these crayons or not. Oh, sure she like them. And anyway, uh, what do you know what she like and what she don't like, Miss Andy? Well, there's the trouble, Lightning. I do know what she likes. Uh, well, it don't make no difference. You flat busted anyway. Yeah, and that's what's troubling me. I was broke and... Say, Lightning, what time is it? Uh, it's about one o'clock, Miss Andy. One o'clock? I'm just getting an idea here, Lightning. Let me get up here. I think I'm going to take a walk down to that department store on the corner. Come in. Did you want to see me? Uh, I guess so. Is you the gentleman to do the hiring for the department store? That's right. My name is Simmons. Yeah, well, I was wondering if you needed any extra sales help for this last-minute rush this afternoon. I would work hard. Well, we did need extra help up until this morning. But I think we can get through the rest of the day with the salespeople we have. Oh, well, thank you just the same, Mr. Osborne. Say, uh, wait just a minute. Uh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Maybe we, you can help us. Uh, uh, what's that? Well, one of our Santa Claus helpers was called home. His wife was taken ill suddenly, and, well, we could use somebody to take his place. Do you think you could do it? Uh, be Santa Claus's helper? That's right. Well, I ain't never done it before, and I don't, uh... Show, show, I can do it. Fine, fine. You go down and see Mr. Walker on the fourth floor. He'll give you your Santa Claus suit and whiskers. Then come back here and I'll tell you just what you're supposed to do. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, Mr. Brown, you look very well in that outfit. Yes, sir. I see you've got that pillow in there just right. That ain't no pillow. That's me. <laughs> Well, I think you're going to make a fine Santa Claus, Mr. Brown. Now, uh, you just put on these whiskers and hat 
And you're all set. Yes, sir. Now, what must I do, Mr. Simmons? Well, uh, you can get into the toy department right through the back door of my office here. The Santa Claus chair is right there. Yes, sir. And I just sit there and talk to the children, huh? That's right. You just have the children come up one at a time, and if you run into any difficulties of any kind, just call the floor walker. Mm, yes, sir. If I have any trouble, I'll call the floor walker. Good luck, Santa. Right through that door there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, there's the Santa Claus chair. A lot of children waiting already, too. Uh-oh, they done spotted me. Hey, quiet, 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 kids, quiet. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I better sit down here and get started. All right, Sonny. Ha, ha, ha. You is first. Come right up here and sit on Santa Claus's lap. Ha, ha, ha. That's the boy. Now, tell Santa Claus, uh, what does you want for Christmas? I want a Hopalong Cassidy hat, a Hopalong Cassidy shirt, Hopalong Cassidy spurs, Hopalong Cassidy belt, a Hopalong Cassidy gun, Hopalong Cassidy boots, and a Hopalong Cassidy toothbrush. Well, and tell me something, little fella. Just who is your favorite cowboy star? Roy Rogers. <laughs> hey, uh, you is a nice little boy, you know it. What is your name? Sammy Jackson. Well, tell me something, Sammy. Uh, has you been a good boy? Yes. I ought to know that without asking. Ha, <laughs> ha. You look like a smart little fellow. I bet you were smart in school. No, I ain't. You ain't smart in school? No, I ain't. I bet you try hard, though, don't you? No, I don't. Well, uh... <laughs> you're gonna try hard after you go back after the vacation, though, ain't you? No, I ain't. I ain't never gonna try hard because I hate school. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. Oh, floor walker! <laughs> can you come over here, floor walker? If I gets everything I ask for, I'll try hard. Uh, never mind, floor walker. That's a good little boy, Sammy. You just hang up your stocking and everything's gonna be all right. Okay, thank you, Santa Claus. Yeah. Am I next? Yeah, you was next. My, my, say, you was a sweet little girl. Now, what can Santa do for a pretty little girl like you? Mommy said when I came up here, I could sit on your lap. Oh, sure, yeah. Let me lift you up here. Mm, there you is. You as light as a feather. What's your name, honey? Patricia Washington. Mm, that's a pretty name, too. And that's a pretty little coat you got on there. My mother made it for me. She made my hat, too. Well, Patricia, I suppose you come up to tell me what you want for Christmas. No, Santa. I wrote you a letter about that. I just came up to visit with you. Oh, well, that was nice of you, yeah. I guess when you've been out delivering presents all Christmas Eve, when you get home, you must be awfully tired, Santa Claus. Uh, yeah, I guess I is pretty tired of that, yeah. And I'll bet your little girl comes up to you and throws her arms around you like I do when my daddy comes home tired. Well, uh, no, honey, my little girl don't do that because, you see, I don't have no little girl. I live by myself. All by yourself? All by myself. Then, just for today, I'll be your little girl. Here. Oh, thank you, honey. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I, uh... Why, Santa Claus, did 
Didn't you like it having a little girl hug and kiss you? I noticed there's a tear running down your cheek. Oh, no, honey. I, I like that more than I could ever tell you. But don't you pay no attention to that tear. It's, it's just that at Christmas time, your eye is liable to do funny things to you. And I'll tell you something else, too. Santa is really going to come to your house this year. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Santa Claus. Merry Christmas to you, honey. All right, who's next? I'm next. Uh, uh, come right up, Sonny. Uh, uh, what's your name? Jonathan Waldorf Curtis Higgins, the third. Yeah, well, I'll just call you Johnny. Now, what do you want for Christmas, Johnny? Wait a minute. Before I tell you, are you the real Santa Claus? Well, uh, I have Santa Claus's helper. Well, I guess that's okay. But I don't like doing business with no middleman. Oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, talking to me is just like talking to Santa yourself. I got the sleigh and the reindeers and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, all right, then. Just what are the reindeers' names? Uh, you want to know the reindeers' names? Well, if you're Santa Claus helper, you ought to know the names. Yeah, well, there's uh, Donner, Blitzen, Thunder, Prancer, and, uh, uh, Stinkin' Blinkin' and Nod. <laughs> now, what you want for Christmas, Johnny? I want an electric train, I want a bicycle, and I want a model airplane with a real gasoline engine. Yeah, well, that's all pretty expensive stuff, but I don't know if you're going to get all of that. Oh, you don't, huh? No. Say, lean over here a minute. Yes, sir. I mean, uh, well, 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 what you want? Now, listen, bud. Do I get that stuff, or do I have to punch you in the nose in front of all these kids? Oh, floor walker! <laughs> Uh, well, Sonny... You see this, Fist? Uh, never mind, Floor Walker. Okay, you'll get the stuff. I'd better. Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, who's next? I am Santa Claus. Oh, uh, step right up, Sonny. Yes, sir. And what's your name? William Smith. Yeah, well, William, I suppose a big fella like you want a cowboy suit for Christmas, too, huh? Nope. Electric trains? Nope. Bicycle? Nope. Pair of boxing gloves? Nope. Well, tell me, William, what would you like? A baby sister. You, you want a baby sister? Yes, how can I get one? Oh, floor walker. Well, you look a little worn out, Mr. Brown. Oh, yeah, I is a little tired. I never talked to so many kids in all my life. Gee, they is cute, though. You did very well. All the children seemed very happy, and the parents were just standing there beaming. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, sir. We certainly appreciated having you here this afternoon. Yes, sir. Well, I enjoyed it, too. And, of course, like I told you, when I made the deal with you, I'd done it for a special reason. Yes. And here it is, Mr. Brown. I had the stock boy take it out of the window. The talking doll.
Christmas show is being brought to you by the makers of Rinso, the only soap in all the world that contains solium. Well, that brings us up to this evening, which is Christmas Eve. Andy, with his arms full of presents, has come up to Amos's apartment. Well, come in, Andy. Merry Christmas, boy. Say, Amos, is the kids around? Oh, no, it is all in bed. Uh, Arbidella's the last one. She just went to bed a few minutes ago. Yeah, well, I didn't want none of the kids to see me come in with these packages. Let me put them down here under the tree. Oh, gee, you got a lot of stuff to Andy. Look like you didn't forget nobody. Yeah. Where's Ruby? Well, she and her mama went to church for Christmas Eve services, and I kind of babysitting with the children tonight. Well, I got a present here for you, Amos. Oh, thank you, Andy. And here's something for your wife, Ruby, and... Here's something for her mama. And I got a box of them toy soldiers here for Junior. Oh, that's wonderful. What you got in that big box, Dan? Oh, that. Well, that's a special gift, Amos. Uh, that's for Arbidella. Arbidella? Yeah, I didn't put no card on it, so just tell her that this is from Santa Claus. Oh, well, Annie, you sure is wonderful to the kids, not only on Christmas, but all the time, boy. Well, you know, Amos, I ain't never had none of my own, so... I guess the next best thing is kind of being Uncle Andy to all of yours. Yeah, where are you headed for now, Andy? Well, I'm going to spend Christmas Eve with the kingfish. We're putting on a little dinner party. We done bought a 12-pound turkey. Oh, that's nice. Uh, how many is you going to be here? Just me and him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Amos, I'll be running along and wish everybody a Merry Christmas for well, me. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, Andy. I'm going back with Arbidella now and see if she's asleep. You know how kids is on Christmas Eve. Yeah, well, so long, Amos. So Thanks long. again, Andy, and see you tomorrow. Merry Christmas. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord. Well, Arbidella, look at you. I thought you'd be sound asleep by now, and there you is sitting up in bed. Oh, Daddy, I'm so excited. I don't think I can sleep tonight. Yeah, well, honey, everybody's got to sleep tonight, uh, just because Santa's coming in the morning, why, you can't stay awake all night. Uh, he won't come if people stay awake. How long before he'll be here, Daddy? Well, I tell you, you put your head down on the pillow and go to sleep. Now, if you will sleep, it'll only seem like one minute before Santa will be here. Oh, all right, Daddy, I'll try. I certainly am excited, though, Daddy. Well, I guess all little kids are excited tonight. Daddy... Can I turn on the little radio before I go to sleep? Well, just for a minute or two. I'll snap it on for you. There he is. Now let it warm up for a few seconds. We don't want to wake up your little brother and name us Andrew. Oh, music never wakes them up, Daddy. Well, let me straighten your covers out a little bit. Is you said your prayers? Mommy heard my prayers before she went out, Daddy. The Christmas choir continues with the Lord's Prayer. Well, now get under the covers, honey. Daddy, could you get some Christmas music on the radio? Why, darling, this is the very best Christmas music you could get. There's going to sing the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I've been saying the Lord's Prayer with Mommy. She's been teaching it to me. Yes, I know she is. What does the Lord's Prayer mean, Daddy? Well, it means an awful lot. And with the world like it is today, it seems to have a bigger meaning than ever before. What does the Lord's Prayer really mean, Daddy? The Lord's Prayer? Well, darling, I'll explain it to you. Oh, will you, Daddy? Yeah, now you lay down and you listen. All right. Now, the first line 
of the Lord's Prayer is this. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now that means Father of all that is good, where no wrong can ever dwell. And then it says, Hallowed be thy name. Now that means, darling, that we should love and respect all that is good. And then it says after that, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now that means, darling, as we clean our hearts of all hate and selfishness and fill our hearts with the love, the good, the true, and the beautiful, then earth, where we are now, will be just like heaven. That would be wonderful, Daddy. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now that means to feed our hearts and minds with kindness, with love, and with courage, which will make us strong for our daily task. And then after that, the next line of the Lord's Prayer is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you remember the golden rule? Yes, Daddy. Well, that we means that we must keep the golden rule and do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. And then it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that means, my darling, to ask God to help us do and to see and to think right so that we will neither be led or tempted by anything that is bad. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now that means, darling, that all the world and everything in it belongs to God's kingdom, everything. Your mommy, your daddy, your little brother, your sister, your grandma, you and everybody. And as we know that and act as if we know it, that, my darling daughter, is the real spirit of Christmas. That's good, Daddy. Well, now I guess I ought to cut off the radio and let you go to sleep. Good night, Daddy. Good night, sweetheart. Daddy, will you leave the little radio on while I go to sleep? All right, I'll leave it on, and you can listen to some Christmas music.
Christmas, my darling. Speaking for everybody in our show here, the cast, our writers, Joe Connolly, Bob Mosier, and Bob Ross, our musical director, Jeff Alexander, his orchestra and chorus, and for Lever Brothers Company, the people who make Brent so with Sodium, me and Andy want to wish you a very Merry Christmas to you, your families, and the finest New Year ever. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas, everybody. Good night, folks. See you next Sunday. of men, women, and children of Europe and Asia are still undernourished. In spite of the aid given our government, the continued help of individuals is needed to combat malnutrition and disease. You can help these needy people by sending a food or clothing package through CARE. Why not send your contribution today to the CARE office in your community? And be sure to join us again at the same time next Sunday, New Year's Eve, when Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Rinso with Solium, will again present the Amos and Andy Show. This is Ken Niles speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
one more shelf. Go with family theater. Hopefully this will work. Here we go. Let's see here. Didn't kick in. Yeah. Okay, let's try again. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we move it back over. Guess my CD players are getting whoa old. Pop this out. I'm moving the CD in the spindle. Close it. Okay, let's see if this works. Family Theater presents Loretta Young. Hollywood, the Mutual Network, in cooperation with Family Theater, presents Miss Loretta Young in Charles Taswell's story of a small boy who became the littlest angel. upon a time, oh, many, many years ago, as time is calculated by men, but which was merely yesterday in the celestial calendar of heaven, there was in paradise a most miserable, thoroughly unhappy, and utterly dejected cherub, who was known throughout heaven as the littlest angel. He was exactly four years, six months, five days, seven hours, and 42 minutes of age when he presented his small self to the venerable gatekeeper and waited for admittance to the glorious kingdom of God. Standing defiantly with his short brown legs wide apart, the littlest angel tried to pretend that he wasn't at all impressed by such unearthly splendor. 
and that he wasn't at all afraid. But his lower lip trembled, and a tear disgraced him by making a new furrow down his already tear-streaked face, coming to a precipitous halt at the very tip end of his small, freckled nose. But that wasn't all. While the kindly gatekeeper was entering the name in his great book, the littlest angel, having left home as usual without a handkerchief, endeavored to hide the telltale evidence by sniffling. <laughs> oh, a most unangelic sound, which so unnerved the good gatekeeper that he did something he had never done before in all eternity. He blotted the page. <laughs> From that moment on, the heavenly peace was never quite the same. And the littlest angel soon became the despair of all the heavenly host. His shrill, ear-splitting whistle sounded at all hours through the golden streets, which startled the patriarch prophets and disturbed their meditations. Yes, and on top of that, he inevitably sang off-key at the singing practice of the heavenly choir, spoiling its ethereal effect. And being so small that it seemed to take him twice as long as anyone else to get to nightly prayers, the littlest angel always arrived late and always knocked everyone's wings askew as he darted into his place. Although these flaws in behavior might have been overlooked, the general appearance of the littlest angel was even more disreputable than his deportment. It was first whispered among the seraphim and cherubim, and then said aloud among the angels and the archangels that he didn't even look like an angel. And they were all quite correct. He didn't. His halo was permanently tarnished where he held on to it with one hot little chubby hand when he ran, and he was always running. Furthermore, even when he stood very still, it never behaved like a halo should. It was always slipping down over his right eye, or over his left eye, or else just for pure meanness, slipping off the back of his head and rolling away down some golden street, just so he'd have to chase after it. Yes. And it must be here recorded that his wings were neither useful nor ornamental. All paradise held its breath when the littlest angel perched himself like an unhappy fledgling sparrow on the very edge of a guilted cloud and prepared to take off. He would teeter this way and that way, but after much coaxing and a few false starts, he would shut both of his eyes, hold his freckled nose, count up to 303, and then... Hurl himself slowly into space. However, owing to the regrettable fact that he always forgot to move his wings, the littlest angel always fell head over halo. Oh, dear! It was also reported and never denied that whenever he was nervous, which was most of the time... He bit his wingtips. Now, anyone can easily understand why the littlest angel would, soon or late, have to be disciplined. 
And so, on an eternal day of an eternal month in the year eternal, he was directed to present his small self before an angel of the peace. The littlest angel combed his hair, dusted his wings, and scrambled into an almost clean robe. And then, with a heavy heart, he trudged his way to the place of judgment. He tried to postpone the dreaded ordeal by loitering along the street of the guardian angels, pausing a few timeless moments to minutely examine the long list of new arrivals. Although all heaven knew that he couldn't read a word. And he idled more than several immortal moments to carefully examine a display of aureate harps. Although everyone in the celestial city knew that he couldn't tell a crotchet from a semiquaver. But at last, and at length, he slowly approached a doorway which was surmounted by a pair of golden scales, signifying that heavenly justice was dispensed within. To the littlest angel's great surprise, he heard a voice singing. The littlest angel removed his halo and breathed upon it heavily, and then polished it upon his robe, a procedure which added nothing to that garment's already untidy appearance, and then tiptoed in. The singer, who was known as the understanding angel, looked down at the small culprit, and the littlest angel instinctively tried to make himself invisible by the ingenious process of withdrawing his head into the collar of his robe, very much like a snapping turtle. At that, the singer laughed, a kind, heartwarming sound. And he said, Oh, so you're the one who's been making heaven so unheavenly. Come here, cherub, and tell me all about it. The littlest angel ventured a furtive look beneath his robe. First one eye, and then the other eye. And suddenly, almost before he knew it, he was perched on the lap of the understanding angel and was explaining how very difficult it was for a boy who suddenly finds himself transformed into an angel. Yes, and, and no matter what the archangel said, he'd only swung once on that... Well, twice. Uh, oh, all right, then. He'd swung three times on the golden gates. But that was just for something to do. That was the whole trouble. There wasn't anything for a small angel to do, and he was very homesick. Oh, not the paradise wasn't beautiful, but... Oh, earth was beautiful, too. Wasn't it created by God himself? Why, there were trees to climb and brooks to fish, and caves to play at pirate chief. The swimming hole, and sun, and rain, and dark, and dawn, and thick brown dust so soft and warm beneath your feet. The understanding angel smiled, and in his eyes was a long-forgotten memory of another small boy in a long ago. Then he asked the littlest angel what would make him most happy in paradise. The cherub thought for a moment and then whispered in his ear, There's a box. I left it under my bed back home. If only I could have that. The understanding angel nodded his head. You shall have it, he promised. And a fleet-winged heavenly messenger was instantly dispatched to bring the box to paradise. (laughs) 
And then in all those timeless days that followed, everyone wondered at the great change in the littlest angel. For among all the cherubs in God's kingdom, he was the most happy. His conduct was above the slightest reproach. His appearance was all that the most fastidious could wish for. And on excursions to illusion fields, it could be said and truly said that he flew like an angel. Then it came to pass that Jesus, the Son of God, was to be born of Mary of Bethlehem of Judea. And as the glorious tidings spread through paradise, all the angels rejoiced, and their voices were lifted to herald the miracle of miracles, the coming of the Christ child. The angels and archangels, the seraphim and cherubim, the gatekeeper, the wingmaker, and yes, even the halo smith, they all put aside their usual tasks to prepare their gifts for the blessed infant. All but the littlest angel. Now, he sat himself down on the topmost step of the golden stairs and anxiously waited for inspiration. What could he give that would be most acceptable to the Son of God? At one time, he dreamed of composing a lyric hymn of adoration. But the littlest angel was woefully wanting in musical talent. And then he grew tremendously excited over writing a prayer. A prayer that would live forever in the hearts of men because it would be the first prayer ever to be heard by the Christ child. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But the littlest angel was lamentably lacking in literate skill. What, oh, what could a small angel give that would please the holy infant? The time of the miracle was very close at hand when the littlest angel at last decided on his gift. And then on that day of days, he proudly brought it from its hiding place behind a cloud and humbly, with downcast eyes, placed it before the throne of God. It was only a small, rough, unsightly box But inside were all those wonderful things that even the child of God would treasure. A small, rough, unsightly box lying among all those glorious gifts from all the angels of paradise. Gifts of such rare and radiant splendor and breathless beauty that heaven and all the universe were lighted by the mere reflection of their glory. And when the littlest angel saw this, He suddenly knew that his gift to God's child was irreverent, and he devoutly wished he might reclaim his shabby gift. It was ugly. Oh, it was worthless. Oh, if only he could hide it away from the sight of God before it was even noticed. But it was too late. The hand of God moved slowly over all that array of shining gifts, then paused, then dropped then came to rest on the lowly gift of the littlest angel. The littlest angel trembled as he saw what the boxes opened. And there before the eyes of God and all of his heavenly host was what he offered to the Christ child. And what was his gift? 
to the blessed infant? Well, there was a butterfly with golden wings captured one bright summer day on the high hills of, over Jerusalem, and a sky-blue egg from a bird's nest in the olive tree that stood to shade his mother's kitchen door. And oh, oh, there were two white stones found on a muddy riverbank when he, he and his friends had played like small brown beavers. And at the bottom of the box, a limp, tooth-marked leather strap, once worn as a collar by his mongrel dog, who had died as he had lived, in absolute love and infinite devotion. Oh, the littlest angel wept hot, bitter tears. For now he knew that instead of honoring the Son of God, he had been most blasphemous. Why had he ever thought the box was so wonderful? Why had he dreamed that such utterly useless things would be loved by the blessed infant? In frantic terror, he turned to run and hide from the divine wrath of the Heavenly Father. But he stumbled and fell. And with a horrified wail and a clatter of halo, rolled in a ball of consummate misery at the very foot of the heavenly throne. There was an ominous and dreadful silence in the celestial city. A silence complete and undisturbed, save for the heartbroken sobbing of the littlest angel. And then suddenly, the voice of God, like divine music, rose and swelled through paradise. And the voice of God saying, of all the gifts of all the angels, I find that this small box pleases me the most. Its contents are of the earth and of men, and my son is born to be king of both. These are the things my son too will know and love and cherish, and then regretful will leave behind him when his task is done. I accept this gift in the name of the child Jesus, born of Mary this night in Bethlehem. There was a breathless pause. And then the rough, unsightly box of the littlest angel began to glow with a bright, unearthly light. Then the light became a lustrous flame, and the flame became a radiant brilliance that blinded the eyes of all the angels. None but the littlest angel saw it rise from its place before the throne of God. And he... And only he watched it arch the firmament to stand and shed its clear, white, beckoning light over a stable where a child was born. There it shone on that night of miracles and its light was reflected down the centuries deep in the heart of all mankind. Yet earthly eyes, blinded too by its splendor, could never know that the lowly gift of the littlest angel was what all men would call forever the shining star of Bethlehem.
seems to hear words of the cheer from everywhere filling the air. Oh, how they howl, raising a sound. Oh, hell is here, telling a tale. Hell is here, while people sing songs of the cheer. Christmas is here. Loretta Young again. It's been more than a pleasure to bring you the story of the Littlest Angel as a Christmas gift to all of our family theater listeners. It's our humble way of wishing everyone a most happy and blessed Christmas. And now, may we remind you, as we do each week, that the family that prays together stays together. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of.
From Hollywood Family Theater has presented Miss Loretta Young, who has told you the story of The Littlest Angel by Charles Taswell. Music and choral numbers were composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman, and the production was directed for Family Theater by Jaime Del Valle. Jeffrey Silver was heard as The Littlest Angel, and Ken Christie as The Understanding Angel. This series of family theater broadcasts is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this type of program, by the mutual network which has responded to this need, and by the hundreds of stars of stage, screen, and radio who have so unselfishly given of their time and talent to appear on our family theater stage. To them and to you, our humble thanks. This is Gene Baker inviting you to join us next week when your family theater will present Pat O'Brien in Count Leo Tolstoy's unforgettable The Cobbler's Window. Join us, won't you? Broadcast to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System. Take it back to the eye making system. So may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you all. Merry Christmas. I love you all very, very much. Jaws Professional Groove Music Groove Music Alt F4 One Saturday 7 da- Alt Tab Documents Alt Tab One Saturday Alt Tab Document Alt F4 One Saturday 7 da- Alt F4 Yes Button Alt Tab George Wright Christmas Music for Alt F4 Jaws Updates Available Alt Tab Fibber McGee Alt Tab Jaws Updates Available Alt Tab Fibber McGee Alt F4 Jaws Updates Available Alt F4 Skype Sign and Head Alt Tab Soundforge Pro Left Escape Escape 0.000 seconds Enter 0.02 Enter 0.02 
Menu A. Leaving menus. Data window. Sound 1 star. Save as dialog. File name colon. Sound 1. Edit. To set the value use the arrow keys or type the value. Alt plus N. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y-N-I-G-A-T 7-9-1-6-W-I-T-8-P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-A-N-D-R-U-N-N-I-N-G-T-A-E-M-A-Y-O-R-O-F-T-A-E-N-O-R-T-8-P-O-L-E Save as type colon combo box wave left parent might save button enter Data window type in text 0.024 seconds. JAWS Professional. Desktop. Folder view list view. Skype checked. 13 of 40. All tab. Skype trademark. All tab. Patricia from FL Home, build Alt F4, Skype trademark dash call quality, Alt F4, Alt tab, Skype trademark left, Alt tab, documents, items, view multis, Alt F4, menu bar, Alt tab, leaving menu bar, Alt tab, Skype trade, Alt tab, sounds Forge Pro 11.0. Escape. Sounds Forge Pro 11.0 left parent not responding.